right back with Library Books, The Perfect Friday Night Date. Welcome to another episode of Vital Social Issues and Stuff with Chris and John Wayne. I am John Wayne. With me is Chris, of course. Chris, hello. Hello, Mr. John Wayne. I hope you're having a delightful summer day. Oh, what a time. You uh you're, you we were just talking about how hot it was. It's and awesome. we were we were basically having like a sh- dick showing hot contest type of thing. And you're you're visibly oh. sweating. It looks like like you've got well, like a little I bit always, of a sheen on you. Aren't, yeah, aren't I always? I mean, you know. Uh, uh, so I say you win. I mean, you're hot. Well, it's hot. Well, you're in Texas, so you always will win this contest. And well, I'm like, glad. yeah, I reckon. I'm, glad. I'm yeah. glad. Like I, you can have that title of, you know, being the most hot. I mean, you've had that anyway, baby. If you know what I mean. Oh but, uh, my! Oh my! But yeah, no, it's it's it is a hot summer night and the beach is burning. Yeah, it's it's hot. It is hot. Um, so here we are once again. Um, what yep. I, I wanted to. What did we talk about last time? Vampires oh, and werewolves. That's right. <laughs> um, that's right. So if you uh, hung on with us from that episode, uh, thank you. And I want to say thank you for filling the mailbag uh with uh pro vampire male and how much uh-huh. i was right uh about all of my uh things especially from dust till dawn i believe i got a uh a message from mr um a one mr g clooney or i mean i'm sorry <laughs> george c uh, 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 uh was very yes. much in favor of my uh you know my antics. I'm sure he was. Uh, I actually revisited that movie for the first time in at least like 20 years, dude. I revisited yes, yes. it the other night after we talked about it. Uh, it was funny too because you, uh, you know, of course, talked about it a lot on the show, but then just randomly on on Facebook, um, Wes uh, Wes posted something about it. Wes who? Southerd. Southerd. I'm sorry, I should have said that. Wes Southerd posted about it. Uh, and, uh, good, but apparently that's his favorite movie, which is absurd, but it's his favorite movie. That's uh, great. That's a great, he's got weird tastes though, because I mean, well, I mean, he loves Chopping Mall. Right. And he loves, okay. So. He adores, well, I, I'm sorry. He said that From Dust Till Dawn was his second, second favorite movie. Second, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I stand corrected. You're all right. Chopping Mall was his favorite. He mentioned that very explicitly in the post, too. Oh, he yeah. He's like, I love From Dust Till Dawn. It's my favorite. Oh, wait, no. Chopping Mall's my favorite. But From Dust Till Dawn is really cool. So anyway, like, it was just he started like, that hashtag, like, Chopping Mall rule. <laughs> hashtag Chopping Mall is my favorite. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, author Wesley Southern, he loves Chopping Mall. But anyway, he, he loves From Dust Till Dawn. He said it's his favorite. <laughs> And and like it was just like the same day, and I was like, you know, like fate is calling me to rewatch this movie. I haven't seen it in since the nineties, you know. And I the remember nineteen hundred and nineties. Yes, yes, <laughs> nineteen fifty-two. Wow. Uh, but uh, I, uh, uh, yeah, like I remember thinking it was okay. Like I, I liked it, but I wasn't like blown away by it or anything like that uh, back in the day. 
Uh, so I'm like, all right, I'll revisit it. And I, and I'm watching it and everything. And like the, the nineties nostalgia was just like flowing in, you know, like you've got Harvey Keitel, uh, who's not in anything anymore. I think he's retired. Uh, you've got young, beautiful Juliet Lewis, you know, uh, and and the rest you know like and the rest you got salma hayek at like the peak of her hotness you know you got danny trio at the peak of his hotness (laughs) 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 so it was bringing back that whole package yeah it was bringing back the nostalgia you know uh but anyway uh i really like like the opening how like it's like really quiet and really kind of slow. It's just like the sheriff or whatever walks in and he's talking to the gas station guy. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, motherfucker. Like these guys are there and they're like, you know, they're, they're robbing. Do you want this little girl to die or that little girl or your bosom buddy with the badge? It's got one of those excellent openings like Desperado. It's a good opening opening for sure. For sure. And then it all goes downhill. No, I'm kidding. It It doesn't, it doesn't. I'm just busting your balls. No, no, no. I, uh, I actually enjoyed it more than I, thought I was going to I joined it more than I remembered um because it was just uh it was just fun it's just a fun movie it's not a great movie it's not amazing or anything like that but it's just a lot of fun and it has this whole siege uh to it that I really love like people locked in a place trying to fight off the things trying to get inside or the things that are already inside you know the assault on precinct 13 in fact they even got a kid wearing a precinct 13 t-shirt yep. in the movie uh and uh and and like i forgot some of the people that were in it uh kelly preston rest in power uh you know she she's in it um and uh fred williams i forgot he was in it i love that guy i fucking mm-hmm. love that guy you know yeah uh and so uh that was really cool i forgot he was in it completely and uh and yeah it was just a lot of fun it was just you know it's not it's not breaking any any molds but it's just a, it was just a fun horror movie and i think i liked it more now that it's now that time has gone by because it, it has that nostalgia factor now, whereas the time when I saw it, I was just like, eh, you know, I've seen this shit before. Now I'm just like, ah, I saw this shit before, you know, like, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? it's so, it's got so many great lines in it that are it's like quotable, yeah. uh, such as the one I picked for the beginning of the last episode, like you said, yeah, and, and those are, uh, like, they, they have those on the soundtrack interspersed yes, between songs, which I used to have that soundtrack. Big. I had it. I wore the I wore the shit out of it. I also I, forgot I to. Remember I, I used to have it, <coughs> and yeah, it had clips. <laughs> neglected to mention that. Uh, sorry, people. We got a smoke reefer for this COVID to uh, go down. So you that's got a what... smoke reefer. I don't smoke the devil's lettuce. Well, you keep that Satan spinach for yourself, brother. Hell, Satan and hell, Roy. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, it. I had the um the I bought the official screenplay also. Uh, I have that. I was that guy as well. I like that movie quite a bit. But yeah, I'm glad that you liked it better. I know hey, it's not setting the world on fire. No, hey, it, it, it's exactly. not. It's not going walking down the Oscars. No. It's not trying no. to. It's not trying to take you to dinner, dude. It's not trying to take <laughs> your turn. It doesn't want to buy you a beer. It's just a good movie with a lot of cool lines and shit. You know, and at the yeah, at the end, it's fun. so great when like you know Cheech Marin plays I think four characters, characters in that yeah, whole movie, yeah. and, and at the end, he's the drug dealer that comes and picks him up, and 
you know, he's like, oh, are they psychos or something? Yeah, yeah. So he just unloads on him. Psychos yeah. do not explode when sunlight hits them. I don't give a fuck how crazy they are. You know what I mean? I did have a couple of beefs with it, though. I did oh, have a couple of okay. beefs. Like, Keep when you up. talk about, like, like the rules, I, I don't like when a movie disobeys its own rules. Like, when um, Sex Machine uh, gets bit, it takes him a little while to transform, right? It takes him a little while didn't time it don't know like you know movie time and what and like the time that's in the movie are always very different but it takes him a while right when fred williams uh, fred williamson gets uh gets bit he changes like a second like he turns around and like all the bats are flying and he changes like right away Wait, and then story but, uh... but hold, hold, let me finish but then harvey Keitel gets bit and he's like okay we've got about an hour i'm like based on what <laughs> like where do you get that from? Like, Fred Williams had turned in like a second. The other guy took a little while, but it just didn't seem like it took a fucking hour. So it's like, where are these rules coming from? <laughs> well, it's probably, uh, you know, if you read the footnotes, it has to do with the concentration of uh, vampire venom. And, oh, uh, and, oh. and it has to do Is that with, in the with proximity. Yeah, of, yeah. Uh, no, I, I get what you, I, I know exactly what you mean. I think that, they that they had to work that trope in though of the of the the person that gets bit and is like nothing's wrong with me that's in every zombie movie yeah, yeah, and yeah. like there's that's, an you know yeah. i think they just you know they were working that angle in and therefore they the continuity was well, maybe shattered because, that. i don't know okay like, maybe like I don't know. Like they, they, they could have done something where it was like, okay, it's because of like the person's the size of the person, or, or, or like you said, maybe like the the the, uh, the the intensity of the vampire or bat that bites the person. Like maybe they're like a more powerful vampire. If they just explain that, like somehow. But because, then yeah, yeah, I was gonna how are you gonna explain it? Like uh, you know, fucking the professor comes out like right, right. actually what it is, and then as soon as <laughs> they, they, they could it, bring out Bunsen you know? honeydew and and beaker <laughs> and they could like test the, the blood and everything. It would be you know it would yeah, it would have been fine. It would have been fine. But uh but I also have to say, like, Quentin Tarantino should not act in a movie. He should not be in a movie for more than like five minutes. Like it's fine in pulp fiction, but he should not be like a big character. He can't act and he's so hard to look at uh he's just so unfortunate looking as a human being that it's just it's really jarring you know so i i don't think that that was a good choice but otherwise i found it quite enjoyable fair enough it was a great movie yes uh, I, but, wouldn't, I wouldn't kick it out of bed for eating crackers i would kick say that anymore anybody out of bed for eating crackers but I that's, mean, just, I, that's just I, sick and wrong but i used to think that but you know now my my wife eats in bed all the goddamn time so what's i was the, like my wife what's that what is that is that from something you say that all the time from, from borat it's like an old oh, ass oh, okay. i just can't okay. help but say it all the time like you even though stop. it's so yeah. obnoxious and not funny anymore it's, but it's funny to me. it's definitely both of those things but yeah I'm just yeah where it came from yeah damn you see yeah this is what the show works so well, dude. Like, you just keep shooting me down and shooting me down. I and hammer I you down. Coming, you know? I keep coming with these jokes. I mean, these Borat jokes aren't doing anything for you. Wait till we break no, out. Borat. Stuff. Borat, yeah. Very, very timely. Very edgy. Uh, Why so soon? <laughs> Why so soon? There were, there are other things, apparently, uh, our listeners mentioned. Uh, 
uh, a personal friend of mine, uh, Tangie, shouts out Tangie. She mentioned that uh, that a lot of the times I will like say something and uh, and I and like I'm one of those tell you how I really feel persons. Uh, and you will always be like hot takes by Christopher Triana. <laughs> and and Whoa. sometimes you'll say something uh, like like how like uh, Jim Varney died what he loved doing yeah. what he loved dying of lung cancer. <laughs> Yeah. And I'll be like, ooh, cold as ice. So she gave us like these nickname catchphrases like Whoa. I'm hot takes Triana, you're cold as ice communally. <laughs> yes. We've <laughs> shouts, done it, dude. Shouts out Tangi. Thank you so much. Like for oh, that. Oh so. man. Hell yeah, dude. We can do like one of those Iceman, you know, uh top gun goose, you know, whatever. I yeah. fire, fighter Iceman handshake. I could like I could snap my gum in your face and it could be super homoerotic, you know. We're playing volleyball, dude. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's Absolutely. what we gotta do. That's our next commercial uh, that we do for this show. It's gonna be a did we did we already say this a shot for shot remake of that scene? Yeah, we did. Uh, did we? I don't know, uh, but you I don't know. It. Maybe we did, but I didn't commit to it. But well, I'm committing I'll, to I'll, it now. I'll do it right now. I, I'll commit to it. Yes, no, shot okay. by shot remake of uh, Top Gun, playing uh, with the boys scene in the in the in the volleyball, and that's oh, just the- that scene. I thought we we're going to just do the that whole thing. I, I thought we were going to learn to to be to be pilots and uh, like join the the air force. We'll join. Like, dude, I I mean, I wish. I had that kind of time. If I had not committed to all these Shakespeare plays that I'm doing with my dogs, I would be able to <laughs> to do that. But we are I can't just wait to see balls I, deep in the middle of midsummer right now. I can't and, wait uh, to see. Night, yeah, I can't wait to see McBark. I've been so excited to see. Don't it. say it. Oh, oh, you right. You can't say it. Say it. Oh, see, gonna, it's, it's a curse. Now. It's the curse. You're all gonna die. Yep. Uh, I ruined it. I'm sorry. Well, anyway, well, we'll see what we can work in there. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, speaking of, uh, <clears throat> was that all? Oh, I'm sorry. Is that all you had to say about Tangi? I like to talk forever about Tangi, but I'm uh, not going to. Tell, but uh, fire and ice. I, I don't want to forget. Um, <clears throat> give a shout out to uh, Chad, Chad, Cl- the Cloud Miller. Uh, Chad the Cloud. Cloud. My What's man. up? Uh, he's uh, definitely been supporting the show and um, his podcast, Butterflies Make Me Angry. That's what it's called, right? Yeah. That is what it's called. He hosts it with his wife, Sam. His wife. Oh, Jesus Christ. See? <laughs> and uh, yeah, so shouts out to check check out the show. They're on YouTube and I, I believe it's on the Podbean app. Um, they have an episode on uh, you, a couple episodes maybe, or yeah, they uh, do. They do. What they do is they talk a lot about books. They review books. They discuss them, and they also do readings, uh, where they'll read like a chapter, or usually the first chapter of a book, you know, to get their listeners excited. So it's a cool show. Absolutely, it makes me excited. And they, uh, I think, by the time this comes out, the episode that they did on my book, Sinkhole, uh, should be out. They just announced that. So shouts out to them. Check it out. I also want to give a major shout out to uh, Brad Tierney. I believe that's how you say your last name, Brad. What's up, dude? Shouts out. Yo, Brad. Supporting the show and supporting all the stuff that we do. Uh, we we definitely appreciate you, dude. Thank you so much. You are no- a number one. We got to have like a thing, like a gold star rating for our my number one guy. You're my number one <laughs> guy. 
<laughs> or you're David, the Duke. You're uh, the Duke. You're a number one. If David Bowie played that character, he would be like, "You're my number one guy." Uh, yes, Pretty yes. freaky, man. Oh, and, uh, yeah. I'm glad he wasn't the Joker. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I wouldn't have liked it. I mean, did I just say something bad about David Bowie? Oh my God, we're gonna be. No, attacked. it's not bad. I, that's not bad. Uh, maybe he wouldn't have been the best Joker. I'm just saying, if I happened to exist in that universe where he was the Joker, it would be pretty rad. It would couldn't be the worst. It wouldn't be the worst second choice. Uh, have you seen the man who fell to Earth? The guy can't act. Like he just can't. Couldn't act, dude. In this timeline, he can act, and he is the Joker. Oh, oh, and yeah, like in opposite world, he was a great actor. <laughs> In bizarre have you seen, world. Have you seen rock and roll history where David Bowie rules? <laughs> so shut the fuck up. He hey, made a whole a, album a... called Station to Station where he did nothing but do cocaine, eat peppers, and drink milk. Made a whole record. Doesn't remember making it. It's a hit record. Okay. Wh- who, what did record. you do? That, yeah. That's a record. He, no, he was an incredible musician and singer and performer. I'm not saying that. I'm saying he couldn't act. Here's the thing, dude. None of it was real. It was all an act. He was acting the whole time. Whoa. He was really. Well, you blew my he, mind. He was, so. really a, 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 he was really a shingle salesman. Well, you blew my mind. So now why don't you blow me and shut up about this? Oh, okay, fine. I see. <laughs> Boom. Somebody's on a Bowie hot fan. takes Triana. That's <laughs> uh, the kind of hot takes you can expect. We can't force it. Don't try. No, no, it was forced. I, I, I hate myself, and I apologize. That's okay. We're learning. Mm. Learning as we go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't learn. I never learn anything. You, you might, but I, I never learn from my mistakes, and I accept that. Hey, man, it means you know what you want. Do I though? I, I don't think so. No. Were those all the stuff we had? Well, before we get really dark, talking about me not knowing what I want. Uh, <laughs> a different episode. Let's uh, let's get into what we were planning to talk about because we tend to just go off on tangents like we've just done. Uh, tangies, we call them. Shouts out, tangies. We call them tangies. <laughs> oh, for God's sake! So yeah, that's what that's uh, that's what we do. We tend to we we tend to wander off uh, like magpies. So let's focus. Let's focus. Let's be, let's be, fuck us. Let's, uh, let's fuck us. Uh, and let's be, uh, let's be adults and, and men. And what were we talking about? No, I'm kidding. Uh, Uh, we were going to get into our first topic. You're doing an impression of me. (laughs) I was, I was Jesus Christ. You and the, what? (laughs) It's almost like weed slows you or something it's almost like that it's almost like you shouldn't smoke it so much but it hey, makes what do I know? me think so quickly that i can't grasp at the thought I, you know i'm on to the next thing so you uh, don't know anything that's what you know oh i know i don't know anything um, there we go yeah i do but our first topic is we were talking about this and as two writers we could probably stand to talk a little bit more about writing now on our premiere episode we did we talked about writing and we talked about covid and its effect on writing and all that kind of stuff uh in some other episodes like the last one we talked about uh werewolf and and vampire novels that we love and stuff like that 
Um, and that's and that's good. But I think we I, I thought we could talk about it a little bit more. We talked a lot about movies and music uh, recently, so uh, we decided to talk uh, about our next topic, which is. That's right. Books. Books. Who, who would have thought two uh, two authors would talk about books on their podcast? What are these books or something? That's my impression of uh, three out of the four people who walk by at my table at uh, <laughs> <Right. conventions. laughs> Oh, I don't read. I it's love it's like a it's like a a sign a, a neon sign is pointing to the books that says books, and they'll yeah. walk up and be like. What are these books or something? Mm-hmm. My favorite, my favorite, is I was at the the Merrimack Valley uh, Halloween Book Festival uh, in uh, Massachusetts last year, he and names uh, names. huh? He, he names names. <laughs> I was naming the festival, um, but I was there, and I mentioned that festival specifically because it wasn't a horror con; it was a book festival at a library. Okay, like at least at these horror cons, we'd be like, are those books? Like, there's other stuff at these cons. There's t-shirts and there's movies and there's celebrities. Here, there's just writers and their books. And I, I was at, I was there, and these these people walk up, and it's like these two women, and one of them's looking at the books and everything. And I was talking to them, and I started like I started talking to the one who was really looking at the books, and then I started talking to the other one, and like, and then like I was like, so what kind of books do you like and everything? And she goes, oh, well, I don't read. And I'm like, then what the hell are you doing here? I'm like, you're in a library at a book festival. Why are you here? You know, maybe just... she was she was there to get directions on how to get away from there. Possibly. That's that's got to be it. <laughs> that's got to be what it was because she sure wasn't there to read. Uh, but you know that that gets me though. Like when people will come up to our booths and say something like that, like, "Well, I don't read." It's like that's something people should be embarrassed about. Like, okay, yeah, if you it's don't, not a cool thing. To, why would to people talk just about. openly? Yeah, why would people only say that? Like, you know, back in my day, because I'm an old man. Uh, but back in my day, like, like you would be embarrassed to admit something like that. You know, to be like, oh, I just watch movies, TV. Like, that was a that's a bad thing. That is not good. It's like when people are so proud that they binged watched a whole season of a show on Netflix. I'm like, that's not a good thing for you to sit in front of the TV for 10 hours. You know, like that's not good. Like, and for you to brag about it is even worse that you think like, that's like some kind of accomplishment. It's just like, what the fuck is wrong with people? Speaking of hot takes and cold as ice, I totally agree with you. Hot, uh, HK, HK, uh, HTK, hot take Chris. (laughs) We'll call you HTK. I totally agree with you. Uh, I am completely uh, I have I have such weird uh, issues with time and and wasting time. I've talked about it like I can't it's uh, it doesn't let me do that. I know people who are totally fine with doing that. Like my wife, my wife can sit and watch forever. (laughs) Like she, she does that. And that's her thing. And that's I've had to really be like. Okay, that's fine. That's what she, that's what she is. That's how she does things. Sure, and sure. and more often than not, I find like more people than I than not 
do that a lot that I know. They do. Just, like, a lot of people like, do Like, sit that. around and just, like, watch. I cannot allow myself to do that. I feel yeah. like a worthless person. Like, I, not, not that there's anything yeah. wrong with that. Yeah. Cold as ice, hot as it's whatever. Not, but... It's not even just, like, you can't allow yeah. yourself to do it, but, like, you wouldn't even enjoy it because... Like you're you're thinking, I I got I got other stuff to do. I want to do other things. Like you wouldn't even enjoy it. The only yeah, time yeah. that that I do something like that is if I'm laid up. Like like I've got to be like Ooh. no, like really, like if I've got the flu or something. Yeah, I'll lay there and just watch you know Big Trouble in China eight times. You know, like you know, like like I do. But uh, but no, I'll just lay there and like watch stuff because like you know, or if I'm just like. You know, like, uh, I don't know, a couple of months ago, I was so friggin' exhausted, like, literal exhaustion, that all I could do was just, like, sit there and, and watch movies, you know? No, but that's fine, but that's make, no far between. make no mistake. Make no mistake. Binge all you want or whatever you're doing, but you need to be reading mm -hmm. as well. I, I, I just really think that's important. No, absolutely. Um, so many not, not looking at reading. your phone screen, reading things, all the, you know, read a fucking book. Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. What Absolutely. are we? Are we old men yelling at clouds with this issue, or we are? Um, are I've... we? Well, I don't know. Anyway, dude, books. we should start a bookmobile, the most bitchin' bookmobile around, dude. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I'm gonna yep. start putting some plans together for that, dude. What if we had a bookmobile? Oh my god, what if we took a bus and made it a bookmobile and we toured it around the country, and we just yeah, this we drove uh... a bookmobile, Chris and John Wayne's bookmobile. Oh my God! This baby writes itself. Coming soon. It's, it's like a Chevy Chase movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but you know, I mean that in a good way. I mean, uh, yeah, a, we you know, won't make any money, but it'll be fun, dude. You'll see. If you build it, they will come. Poolmobile. We might make some money, but but poolmobile. Poolmobile. <laughs> anyway, books. Um. <laughs> We uh, we meant to talk about books. Now, uh, of course, we're both published authors. We both love fiction uh, uh, and and reading. And of course, we we both read nonfiction too. But uh, I think fiction is what we really wanted to focus on today because we were going to talk about some of the writers and some of the books that really inspired us and helped um, shape us into the writers that we are. Mm -hmm. um, now, what what books? Do you remember like really falling in love with first? And, I, and it doesn't need to be like, oh, it's like this is what inspired me to write. It's just like things that really like pulled you and made you want to read. Well, I mean, when I was uh, when I was in elementary school and I first you know, we first learned how to read and we're like reading actual books like um, I, and <clears throat> it's funny. I talked about shouts out mom. I talked about this with my mom on another podcast, but. I would the first things that we were assigned were I, I believe Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing and and Super Fudge. And then we we read like we were assigned like all of these like Ramona Quimby books that Judy Bloom wrote. But the thing was that like it was over a long period of time and you were supposed to go home and read one chapter and come back. And I would come back the next day having read the whole book. And the teacher right. called my mom and said actually told her like hey you need to make sure that he doesn't he, he stops doing this because he co he comes to the class and just talks about the whole book uh because so you're a spoiler yeah. overnight and i was like my mom was like okay and she was just like just don't 
Just don't worry talk about, about it. Yeah, she just, just read, read them as fast as you want. Stop reading so much. Just, uh, just uh, don't talk about ahead. Yeah. I was like, all right, cool. So though, like, I just I remember those. I read those books uh, a ton. That's kind of spurred me into reading uh, mm. as a kid. But uh, you know, from there, uh, I, I pretty much jumped straight to Penthouse Forum. Well, read yeah, that like straight you're... on for about 27 years. <laughs> <laughs> Writing letter after letter after letter. Yeah. Uh, but but around that time, like in that age group, I did read sideways stories from Wayside School. Oh, I loved that one, dude. I remember that. Yeah. And so that's yeah. like where I, I try to sometimes I'll go back and try to chart where my brain got uh, ruined, like crooked into weird like things <laughs> like or whatever. And that's one of the touchstones for sure. Like, oh, I totally, read that. dude. And I love those books. Yeah, you yeah. read them, and they're so weird. I bought. I mean, I I've since like bought my childhood favorite books still mm-hmm. and put them on my shelf now. Um, so I have that. You know, I went back and you look at it, and it, it's so it's it's back then. It was so fucking weird. You're like, oh my yeah. god, this it's, is so bizarre. Yeah, so and you look at. You look at it now, and it, it is weird, but it's not as it doesn't push into anything super ba- like it's it walks some well, weird line. It's not like going to be like bizarro fiction for adults, but as as kids, like and particularly at the time, it yeah. was really off the wall stuff. It was really uh, trippy and and mind mind blowing. Um, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because I remember it. But I, I until you said the full name, I didn't remember the full name. I knew it was Sideways High or something like that. But I totally remember reading those and loving them. Absolutely. Yeah, there was another one, More Sideways Stories from Wayside School, yeah, uh, which was the sequel. But yeah, the, and if people aren't familiar with them, you know, it was about this kooky school and each chapter was about a different student and the teacher. Mm-hmm. And, and they all had just like freaky, freaky, man, really freaky uh, things that happened to them in the class and and they were so far removed from anything else you were reading at, at that age level mm-hmm. that it was you were exactly your mind blowing you're like whoa yeah, yeah, it man, was, i didn't know you like this could be like yeah this, it was you know? it was my first experience with like surreal fiction it was yeah, very it was surreal great. which yeah, we're gonna exactly. we're gonna talk about later so it's kind of like introduced us both to uh uh you know like how out there fiction could go yeah uh one of my favorites is i really liked the choose your own adventure series did you read those i did uh i well i when those first came out um i was such a a weirdo for whatever reason no i um you I refused to choose my own adventure and was, I read them from cover to cover. Uh, <laughs> that how? Like you, like you can't. Just, possibly... It didn't make sense, but I was like, "This is not how books are supposed to be read. You've got to read all the pages. I don't want to cheat myself because once I commit to something, I'm going to do it." So I just like. But you could go back and like choose different options, but reading a cover to cover, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. I know. Uh, and it took me a couple of them to realize that, but <laughs> I just you smoking weed even then. Like, how no, did it take you time knew, to realize that? No, I knew what we were supposed to do. I just <laughs> didn't want to do it. I just thought that if I just read it all the way through, I wouldn't miss anything. Like, oh, I thought you were just skipping parts, I guess. You're so that's what I did. And, uh, and that's the hot takes you can expect. 
from Chris and John Wayne's podcast. Uh, I really liked Choose Your Own Adventure. I enjoyed it, but I also cheated. Uh, I would, like, when I was going to a next page, like, when it was like, okay, if you go to the volcano, then go to page 30. If you go to uh, the uh, the island of, of hot babes, go to page 20. And I would go to the volcano because I was a kid. But, like, you know, I would pick, like, where to go, but I would save my place. So in case I died, I could go back and pick the other option and keep reading, you know, because I didn't want to just die and the book would be over. I'd be like, no, okay, fine. I died. Uh, But I meant this. And I would go back and I would keep reading until I won. (laughs) Wasn't that like saving your place in a video game, kind of like getting to a checkpoint or something? But like, did anyone ever just read a choose your own adventure, pick the wrong choice and then just go, well, I guess I'm dead. And they just like, (laughs) just like threw it to the side and was like, fuck it. It's like, you just gave up. Like, no one did that. Like they couldn't. Probably, dude. If I read them from cover to cover, then somebody did that. Someone must have been like, well, if I'm dead. And it's like, just oh man, I'm so bad, I can't even do books. And then those are just... really big, though. Like they, like they right. even had like, uh, like uh, ones that were like uh, name, name brand. Like they had Indiana Jones and Batman and stuff like that. And I really loved the Indiana Jones ones because there were. It was like I really, you know, like any kid in the '80s, I loved Indiana Jones. And like it was all these other adventures that you didn't get in the movies. I was like, whoa, Indiana Jones, like. He he does so many things. This is amazing, and I get to be him. Uh, so I loved those. Um, we also mentioned the Crestwood Monster series on a previous episode, uh, and I loved those books. You know, the Orange Spine, the ones that yeah. had the Universal Monster stories. Yes, yes. God, yes. I love those books so much, dude. Checked them out of library a bunch. Yeah, that that uh, that was like like some of my earliest, um, not introduction, but like my, my earliest like interest in horror where i was starting to be like you know i really really love this even as a young age i was like i really love monsters and scary things uh you know what it's around that so we talked about that last time like around that same age when i was looking at those monster books at from the same library i was constantly checking out um where the sidewalk ends and a light in the oh attic. yeah yeah and then they had the uh cassette of where the sidewalk ends read by shell silverstein so oh, i would check that out all the time and like i have a a weird memory about quoting things and i can remember like that tape i could remember like forever right right verbatim like i cannot go to school today said little piggy ann mckay i have the measles and the mumps a gash a rash and purple i mean i could do all of those things yeah it's just burned in your mind i I and i also like i love to read it like if i'm like gonna read to some kid uh not that i have any or access to any but if there were some kids, I could some kids I could read to. I would read them uh, where the sidewalk ends, and uh, you know, and do all those kind of voices and shit. Now I've read before to kids. I have access, but I really uh, love. Uh, I really love the the. Oh shit! Are you there? Yeah. Oh, okay, you froze for a minute. Okay, you froze. Um, I really love um, uh, Silverstein stuff. I particularly love the Giving Tree. Uh, it's a really just, uh, I, I think that's just a beautiful story. I actually gave, I, I bought a special like hardback copy and gave it to my mom, uh, like, I don't know, 10 years ago. It was long before she died and, and she was just like crying and crying, you know, uh, I love that story. I think it's great. Uh, but, uh, speaking of him, uh, a couple of fun facts about Shell, uh, that some people might not know. No, uh, one is that he wrote a boy named Sue, uh, the Johnny Cash song. The Cash song. He was a musician as well. Yep, he wrote that song. 
He wrote uh, for Playboy. And he wrote for Playboy. Uh, he he did a lot of weird stuff. And, and the picture of him that was on the original release of uh, The Giving Tree, the back photo is horrifying. He is so scary looking. And I'm not the only person who has said this. He's got like the shaved head and he just has this intense look on his face and like his teeth are bared. Uh, and, and like many people have commented on this, that it's like the scariest photo. And even as a kid, I was like, this is the guy who wrote this. He looks like a serial killer. Like he really does look scary. He, he does look, I know what you mean, but there are like, guys, those other pictures where he was kicked back, like with his guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's got that big beard. And yep. I think at the Other time, I just thought fine. he looked like a like he could have just been a character like that was on television, like other, a, a, other on pictures, Sesame Street or something. Other pictures, it's not even an issue. He looks fine. But that one profile picture of just like his his headshot, it's it's terrifying. I That's don't know. Pretty like, cool though. Yeah, it's pretty. It kind of is. It's kind of great. Um, he, yeah, he was. He was a uh, very very cool. I'm. That's interesting that we both noted Shel Silverstein. Yeah. See. Yeah, you know, look at us, dude. We're we go together like skibapibabadabibidibupidu. And um, when you come to Chris and John Wayne's bookmobile, mobile bookmobile, coming to your town soon, you'll find these kind of interactions right we'll, in front of you happening. But we'll be all out of Shell Silverstein. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be out of sight. Sorry. We'll Sorry. All, by the time we get there, we'll be sold out. All we have is Dean Koontz. We have, the, but but they're all Dean Koontz's versions of Shel Silverstein's books, like right, right. the Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein by Dean Koontz. It's the it's the Giving Bush, yeah. Yeah, did <laughs> I tell a dirty dirty book? I must say, the Giving Bush. Did I tell you about the Bizarro uh, compilation that I'm in that has to do with something like that? No, that has to do with Bush. No, but. Uh, Danger Slater shouts out, and uh, I believe Brian Asman are putting together uh, this bizarro tri- uh, anthology thing about mm-hmm. uh, like porn uh, in literature, or whatever. You had to pick something. Anyway, long story short, I picked uh, the Receiving Tree by Shel Silverpeen. <laughs> so I wrote uh, this story that's oh, going to be in it. this when it comes out, um, and I tied in how the Giving Tree actually. <laughs> works into this guy that works in a glory hole that's in a tree in a park god, god damn you john wayne god and, damn uh god damn he's you. got a great heart and he's got a great life <laughs> and a great anyway, coming soon uh yeah. okay uh no pun intended when you coming soon phrasing not intended uh, or intended yeah you know what i meant to say <laughs> it's the whisk it's the whiskey mouth um I got yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, so yeah, other things. Let, let, let's let's move on. Uh, so, like we we talked a little bit about the books of our childhood. Uh, certainly, there were more, but I want to get into our like teen years because that's when I personally really started to get deeper and deeper into horror, uh, which became my entire life. Uh, and of course, movies had a lot to do with that too. But I very distinctly remember, of course, like anyone at the time, I read a lot of Stephen King. Um, the Mist was my first like adult horror story, and I absolutely cherished it. Uh, then I went on to uh, uh, the Dark Half, or maybe it was the other way around. Is one like, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was the Mist that I read first. But the Dark Half was a, a was a big thing for me. Um, 
and I've talked about this before on other shows. Uh, but uh, any anyway, um, when I was about fifteen or sixteen, I got a hold of my first Clive Barker book, and I hadn't even seen Hellraiser yet. Uh, but a friend of mine, my buddy Eddie, shouts out Eddie. He had he gave me this book, and he was like, "This this this book like broke my mind," and I was like, "Okay." And it's kind of crazy that I even read it at this age. I was like 15 years old. And this book is a big book. It's like six, 700 pages. It's a thick fucking book. Which book? Um, the Great and Secret Show by Clive Barker. Oh, is that like um, the one that's illustrated as well? or is that No, no, no. no? That's The Thief of Always and Aberat. Uh, those, oh, okay. are, those are much more approachable than um than the great secret show like the thief of always is almost like young adult in a way but much darker uh, it's a great book but it's not the same as great secret show which is this mammoth epic of surreal fiction um and it really changed the way i thought about fiction and storytelling um because it was so bizarre and so original there were no vampires or werewolves or mummies there were no serial killers and cops or anything like that. It was just this whole other universe of imagination. And it was scary and it was surreal and it was fucking awesome. It remains one of my favorite books to this day. And I really credit it as being an enormous influence on me as a writer. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a big one for me. Uh, but then I very distinctly remember I was about 16 years old, 16 or 17 uh, and I was really immersed in horror. I was in love with John Carpenter's stuff. I was starting to write my own horror short stories and, and even novellas, um, which were terrible, but I was starting, you know. Um, and I read, because uh, I was really into King, I read uh, Dance Macabre, which is his uh, nonfiction book, which is all about horror, the nature of horror stories, the history of horror, uh, all the movies that he loved growing up and everything. And... I remember reading that and be like, this is it. This is my world. This is my universe. This is what I want to do with my life. I want to be involved in horror, involved in the genre in every possible way. And writing was the way that I uh, moved into that. Um, how about you? What was some of the stuff that really like sparked you like as a teenager when it came, when it comes to like books and writing? Well, I was going to say, you know, uh, my path was m markedly different than yours. Uh, when So I was, you know, I was always reading and like we talked about all those reading. We were talking about those books as a kid. Um, right. And uh, back then I was writing stories and all that kind of stuff as a kid, always writing stupid shit. And my mom was, uh, shouts out mom, constantly telling me you're going to be an author someday. You're just going to be a great, and I, I ever being the obstinate, um, you know, deconstructionist have to be the antithesis of everything. was just like, no, I'm not. Fuck that. That's stupid. And, uh, so I really like, uh, through like, I don't know, through high school and stuff, I, I was, like I said, what we talked about before I was an, I was a thespian. I did a lot of acting, and uh, threw myself into that speech tournaments and that kind of shit. I always was reading stuff. I read a bunch of Stephen King. Uh, I was very much into uh, like British literature 
in those in those classes, just like reading D.H. Lawrence and that kind of stuff. Uh, but I was just, uh, you know, I was very much against. I don't know. I was just like, man, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that, regardless of where I showed uh, like where I showed talent in it. I was like, man, fuck this until I get to like college. And then well, I'm. Well, uh, I just want to uh, sorry to interrupt, but. I just want to say, like that—that's kind of interesting to me. Like, why did you not want to do that? Did you? Why did you think that was lame? Were you more like, "I'm going to be a rock star," or 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 what was it? Well, that was part of it, but later, I—I I don't know because I didn't. Um, I had no idea what I. I never was somebody as a kid that was like, "I'm going to be a this when I grow up." I just right. had no grasp on anything of what. I could be or would right, be or, right. you know, and, and like, you know, then, and then it was just like, okay, well, what if I'm a good writer? Who cares? What does that do? Like, that was my attitude about, mm. about that kind of stuff. And then I get to be a, a, a even further obstinate teenager. And then I'm like, well, I'm just going to be a rock star, man. You know, and I go to, you know, I'm in all these bands and I, and I go to college again, like begrudgingly, I'm like dragged through to all of these things. Right. You know, my right. mom, I told I straight up was like, I'm not going to college. My mom, one day I came home and had she had five applications. She's like, you're filling these out and we're sending mm -hmm. them all in. You're going or whatever. So I ended up going to Sam Houston State University. Uh, shouts out. Eat them up. Cats. Meow. Uh, because my buddy, um, the Monsignor, was going there. So I was like, fine, I'll go to this one. And I finally reluctantly settle into like, I'm, I hate everything about college. I hate all the classes. I fucking hate that I have to take things and I'm in one class and uh, uh, this professor comes in to do a little press. He's like, uh, you know, we're going to hear something from this guy, Dr. Ruffin. So this professor, Dr. Ruffin comes in and he gives us talk about um, the uh, creative writing track there. And, how we have uh that's my dog Cerberus and how they have a, a publishing house that's on campus and working for that and all this kind of stuff. And if you want to be a part of this, you know, go, you know, come talk to us. Here's information. And he left and like the class started and I just got up and left the class and went upstairs to the to the office and changed. I was like, oh, I'm gonna just change do that. Like that was like when I was like, I'm just gonna go do this. It's the only thing I like to do is to read and write. I'm just gonna throw all of this into that right. if I have to right. fucking be here. I was still going to rock and roll. I'm still going <laughs> to rock and roll. I was but the I same way, man. Like I just, uh, like mean, well in high school and stuff, like I, I just, all I was really into was reading and writing. In fact, it goes back even farther than that. And it's such a generic thing, but people ask all the time of writers. I'm sure you get it too, where they're like, when did you start writing? And I go, I, I can't remember a yeah. time when I wasn't, you know, I really can't. In fact, I have a, um, a, a, they were called composition books. And, you know, like they were like the notebook that like had like the gray and black, you know, like cover that was all squiggly. Um, and they, they probably still have these. I don't know. I'm old. But uh, I still have this one from 1986. I was nine. And it's just filled with short stories. You know, um, yeah. so like it, I, I can't remember a time when I wasn't doing it. Uh, I was always more in my imagination than I was in the real world, you know, me as well. I as well. That's why, like last week, for example, when we did Vampires and Werewolves, you actually talked about 
you know, approached it from a literary sense. And I just approached it from how I wanted to be a vampire. Because right. that's how I approach everything. I'm like such a, like, in my imagination all the time. Um, and that's how I've always been as well. You my know, first, just... I, I should have mentioned this on the last show. <laughs> my first long piece that I wrote that was more than, you know, five or six pages. Oh, my. Yep. Uh, I was 14. And mm-hmm. it, and it was, uh, it was, um, I guess it counted as a novella. In my mind, I was like, I wrote my first novel, but it was really more like a novella. Um, it was Did you maybe... say it like that with like an Italian accent? I wrote my first novel. I didn't what? think I was doing an Italian hey, accent. Hey, you but had like, like a fucking track on the corner. That, okay, sure. I, I, hey. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, hey, yeah. Hey, Chrissy just... wrote a novel, huh? Yeah. Let's get him over was, here. Yeah, I was like making a big bowl of, a big bucket of sauce and shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> like my mother made. Um, but, uh, I, uh, uh, yeah, but anyway, I wrote this thing and I don't know, I mean, it was like 50, 60 pages. It was pretty substantial for, for a 14 year old and it was called Razor. And it was about a vampire that traveled through different dimensions. I should have mentioned this on the last one, but yeah, it was about a, a dimension traveling vampire. And my buddy Eddie and I, shouts out Eddie, we wrote like a series of books about these different vampire characters together. Like I wrote one, then he wrote one, and back and forth. Uh, so my first collaboration, I guess you would say. Dude, I discovered this author also. I, I never remember his name, but see if you know who I'm talking about. Uh, at Also, like when I was in elementary school, maybe going into middle school, go, still going to the uh, Baldwin Botcher Library that my mom took us to in our in the fucking neighborhood. <clears throat> this guy wrote a series of kind of YA weird, like what you maybe consider bizarro. <clears throat> Excuse me, people. Um, this reefer. They uh, it, but the one, the one that just truly captured my imagination. The story that I also was one of these touchstones that I can say like. Hmm. Wow. Let me. It made me think differently about stuff. Was book about the story was about these twin brothers who, of course, you know, they're always in like kind of a competition with each other, whatever. But whatever, they inherit like this house from their uncle who dies, and they go stay in it, and they find this shed in the backyard, and through an uh, an accident, they figure out that when you're inside the shed with the door closed, time moves slower or faster than outside mm-hmm. so like he accidentally like locks one of the brothers in for like the door closes behind him and he turns back around puts the key in and opens it up and his brother like jumps up off the floor and has like a five o'clock shadow he'd been in there all night he was like i was pounding on the and and so then it it, it turns into this story that wore the one twin they want to be so different that he like devises his plan he stays he stays overnight in the thing and figures out how long it takes him to to be to age a year older than his brother and he does that and it's it's fucking awesome it blew my mind yeah i have no idea what that is i'm sure people would love to know but you don't know what it's called and you don't know the author i I can find it so you know you you blew it hey man some would say i blew it others would would, others would say i knew that you blew it yeah (laughs) others say that you blew it as well so um go ahead i'm gonna find it okay good you should find it you should find it um now i was uh i know a lot of people out there who write horror who love horror uh were very much um inspired by rl stein's goosebump series 
I personally was a little too old for it. I was past it. My brother yeah. was goosebumps. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we were a little too old for that. Um, but we did have um, the Crestwood Monster series. We did have scary stories to tell in the dark, mm-hmm. uh, which I absolutely On Nickelodeon. Or no, oh, oh, no, that was something else. Yeah, the book. No, I yeah. don't know. What, I got no, the, the book. So, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Nothing. But, um, yeah, as usual, uh, <clears throat> Stony Magoo over here just talking about nothing. Don't do drugs, kids, or you'll end up like John Wayne. <laughs> you could do worse. <laughs> you, you could do a lot better too. Um, and you could also do better than than me. So you know, I'm I'm not saying that. I'm not so saying keep I'm reaching bad, for the stars. Do, don't be us, kids. Do better. Don't be us. Don't um, be us. <laughs> the book is called Singularity by William Slater. Word. So go get that book. Uh, sounds pretty good to me. Uh, he wrote a bunch check. of books. And they were all like that, like that kind of weird shit. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So anyway, um, where's your God now, dude? I never had one to begin with. Okay. <clears throat> um, so anyway, yeah, like getting to the teen years, getting to the early 20s, like, you know, really getting more excited about writing and fiction, um, falling in love with all sorts of new authors. Um, pardon me. I think in my early 20s, that's when I really started to explore other types of, of books. Uh, and that's when I got into literary fiction and indie fiction and stuff like that. Um, some of the, the writers that I really were, were drawn to that I ended up reading tons of their stuff was uh, Hubert Selby Jr., who, of course, gave us Last Exit to Brooklyn, uh, Requiem for a Dream. Um, I really grew to love his his stuff. I, I f- first read um, The Demon, which r- remains probably my favorite book of his. Uh, and this was before the, the movie of Requiem came out and everything. I really fell in love with that guy. Uh, and, and I was like, wow, like, like fiction can have this really emotional impact and like really kind of teach you about humanity. Uh, and reading Exodus to Brooklyn, I say this and I still say this to this day. That was the first extreme horror novel. Even though it's not cannibals eating people's guts or anything like that, it's so nightmarish, the world that he creates. It's so depraved and dark. Um, really groundbreaking, an exceptional novel. And it was, you know, he was like brought into court over this thing for publishing it when, like, you know, when he did. And, uh, you know, way back in the day, years and years and years ago. Um, and, uh, and I can understand why, because it's so, uh, it's so abrasive to the, to to one's consciousness and, and so shocking and so fucking good. It's so good. So yeah, I fell in love with that guy. Uh, there were several other ones, um, but some of it was uh, like, you know, I really started to explore more. I started like classics like um, Nabokov and Dostoevsky and, and, and things like that. I got into the more of the classics, uh, but then I really pursued more indie fiction and things like that, too. I, I really fell in love with Stuart O'Nan, uh, who wrote A Prayer for the Dying. Uh, I, I was really into that book. I was really into Snow Angels uh, and some of his other early books. Um, how about you? Like when you started to like come into your own in the twenties, were there certain authors or certain people that you really latched onto and read a ton of their books, like I did with these in the nineteen hundred and twenties? Well, whenever it was, yeah, I was, I was that you were that. in your twenties. Well, um, yeah, uh, yes, uh, uh, you know, I'm just uh, giving you a hard time because that's what I do. I uh, 
Why do that to um, you? I never do that to you. Why are you so mean? Because I'm a dick. <laughs> I, well, like I, I, I always uh, do that to you. Yeah, I, I've, uh, I mean, you know, I, I did read a bunch of Stephen King stuff growing up. Uh, you know, wait, 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 wait. Like read four minutes past midnight. Shh. <laughs> you know, all and those kind of things. I did read. We talked about it last week. I, I did read quite a, a grip of those Anne Rice vampire novels because I, I liked that and I liked I vampires. Quite a grip? Like a bunch of them. Like a whole does, bunch does of them. Does a grip mean a bunch? Yeah. I heard that term. That's well, must, write that it down, Grandpa. Of, that must be some of the cool hip, like, kid slang. Okay. Like, uh, like, like, bay. Like, apparently you're my bay. I read many, okay. many Anne Rice vampire novels uh, for a time. But, like, uh, I, um, what, I really started, uh, when somebody introduced me to Chuck Palahniuk, I was like, okay, this is interesting. Right. Um, and I started to read all of those books. Right. And I stumbled into like Brett Easton Ellis backwards into like the same time. And I started reading all those books. And then from there, that's when like I, I found Jeremy Robert Johnson from Ch- Chuck Palahniuk, mm. who that and then that's how I got into the whole Bizarro. Uh, I fell down that hole and started yeah. figuring yeah. all that stuff out. But Chuck Palahniuk uh, is one of like more maybe more the, you know, gateway authors into kind of a weird uh, thing, but also, but even before that, like uh, I, I forgot to even say, Kurt Vonnegut uh, is one of my favorites. Like Slaughterhouse yeah. Five is one yeah. of my top five favorite Great books. Book. Great book. Mother Night, I really love as well. But the the concept of becoming unstuck in time was so uh, m- just magical to me. Yeah. I yeah. was just like whoa and then i actually started looking like oh there is like theories of non-linear time that's a thing and then so i was like you know what that's what i choose to believe in non-linear time based (laughs) on that book that's why i won't wear a watch because i'm like fuck that time's not real i don't want to wear a watch time is a a man-made invention i mean time does exist but documenting it and clocking it that's a man-made invention but For I also sure. think that our brains are are uh, in a way like a way we can only perceive time linearly, even mm. though it is happening like that. So you, you think? think you can? So you think you can move backwards and forwards through time? I don't think I. It? I don't know if I can. I'm just saying that it's not. Well, do you we, have a car? Do you have we a perceive Orion? it linearly, but it is happening all at once. I really think we should get a telephone booth, and I think we can experiment with this. I think. Uh, sure. When that Chris and John Wayne's excellent adventure, <laughs> and on our bookmobile, we will have <laughs> that's what we'll it be, is. We're gonna have a phone booth towed behind <laughs> that we get in and do readings. From. Oh, dude, like like maybe on the top of the of the 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 thing because it'd be like a van or something or a bus. So like right on the top, we've got the phone booth, and maybe if we hit eighty eight miles per hour, we'll travel through time. And we'll we'll bring back all of these writers. We'll bring back like Bram Stoker and shit, and Mary Shelley. Mary Shelley, uh, like, yeah. We'll bring them all back, dude. We'll bring back uh, you know Dostoevsky and and and, and Hubert Selby Jr. We'll take them and down it'll be, it'll water park slides and shit because they'll all be empty because of COVID. So there'll be no lines. We'll be we take them to the Paramus Mall. Yeah, we will. We'll take them to the, like to to eat the the Piggly Wiggly and all that shit. Dude, all that incredible. shit. You know, like and coming to a a city near you in our bookmobile, dude. Right, right. <laughs> that travels through time, dude. This is a 
This is happening. This, this is, is a bizarre novel. We, like this should be our first collaboration. We should it's write. It's not this. a collaboration of a novel. It's a collaboration of reality. Of reality, it's gonna happen. It's a gonna bus. Happen. Oh my god! Go from town to town. That's how we're gonna do it, dude. That's it'll how. Be, we're yeah, it'll problem. be. It'll be like the Muppet movie, only with us and a bunch of dead writers. Our troubles are over, dude. <laughs> our troubles. Our are fucking over. troubles are over. That brings us to our next topic, which is. One, two, three, four. Horror. I don't know why I did that. I like it. Okay. You know, if Roy Orbison can do it and Homer Simpson can do it, why can't I? No, uh, those are the surreal horror or surreal, these surreal stories are also part of what helped crack my brain apart to realize. I thought that was acid. Could break. That was all. It's a rich tapestry. (laughs) Um, but like, you know, when dealing with fiction, uh, how, how, how far you could go, I guess, um, because I did write a bunch of stories at one point, but I hadn't, I I hadn't know, I didn't know where they went. They didn't know where they fit. Yeah. And I was reading Chuck Palahniuk and my, my wife, my, my ex-wife at the time, uh, she was like on, on, you know, on Amazon, it's, you know, it said like, if you like Chuck Palahniuk, you'll like. Jeremy Robert Johnson. And you know, this was over ten years ago. And he uh so she ordered this book, Angel Dust Apocalypse, for me. And that was like a, a one another touchstone that was like a click in my mind where I read that book and I was like, okay, this is how you do it, and this is where it goes. This is I, how we do it. Na 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 na, but uh, yeah, I was it, it. I I am. Uh, you mentioned like you know you like where uh the things are not telegraphed. Things it's it's mm-hmm. you never mm-hmm. know where it's going. Oh, that's also yeah. a, a very huge thing with me. Uh, in my books, I'm always trying to kind of throw people off in the things that I write, just because I I, I am <clears throat> I'm the when I go into a movie or a book, I am purposely not trying to figure out what's come. Like I just from a, I don't know, almost like you, like a, I put like a naive naivety blinders on or whatever. Right, and I, right. I just want to go and enjoy this. Yeah. But if yeah. You start telegraphing it to me to an extent to where with those blinders on, I, I'm like, okay, clearly this is going to happen. Then I'm right. like, all right, yeah, it's isn't, like, this isn't weird it. enough. This yeah, isn't like, yeah. oh, you're not, it's not there yet. Yeah, but yeah. these were things where I, I was like, whoa, okay, this can be like that. And that's, a, that's how I discovered bizarro fiction. Mm. And I started getting into, cause I started reading more. I, I, you know, I went down the Jeremy Robert Johnson hole. He did this book with Ed Lee. Shouts out Ed Lee. Who's now out, Ed. friend of the show, friend of ours. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, um, uh, he doesn't you know, remember us at all. But. Yeah, you know, <laughs> hey man, he might remember me. I did panels with him. He might remember me, but I, okay. Oh, here we go. I am important. Hey, but, when he sees me, he's always like, "Hey, there he is." Hey, uh, there's that guy there. There's spent, the guy. Ed Lee knows who I am. We spent the time at Scares at Care. I'm. Uh, I'm just kidding. And uh, he doesn't know. Who, he doesn't. He has no idea who we are. No, but. He did this, uh, co- like a, uh, 
he did a book with Jeremy Robert Johnson called Brain Cheese Buffet. That was short stories. No, wait that, a minute. Wait a minute. That's that's just Edward that, Lee. No. Yes. Sure. That's just Edward Lee. Yeah. Then which maybe one? there's a story or two where he collaborated, but like that's an Edward Lee book because I love that book. That was one of my first um, extreme base? Edward Lees. Like I read Edward Lees before, like before that, like City Inferno and stuff that was more mainstream. But that, but Brain Cheese was the first one that was like, like the extreme fucked up Edward Lee. That was the first one I ever read, and I love that book. Yeah. Oh, maybe it's not. Okay, no, it's not that one. Which one did he write with Jeremy Robert Johnson? I don't know, but I read that one. I read Bullet Through Your Face. Uh, and, and there were some scenes like in these books where there was dicks going into other dicks. There's like shit that was like really ripping my, my mind apart um, <laughs> where it was like, man, this guy takes these things to such a place. Right. You totally. know, yeah. um, but, you know, I was, you know, at the same time, I, I would read like Brady Sinellis and it's not. It's extreme in its own different way. I was talking sure. to uh, Chandler Morrison about this the other day. Shouts out another horror author who also likes Bertie Sinellis. We were talking about extreme horror and, and such. And, you know, there's a scene in American Psycho where he kills the, this bum and his dog. And when you read it on the page, uh, it's extremely disturbing. It is. Uh, yes. And I that book isn't like it's not extreme horror in the in the in the i say i totally say it's extreme horror well yes but not from the point of view of like there's nothing supernatural or you know it's nothing but, like but that no way extreme horror does not have to be supernatural i know i know it doesn't i know it doesn't we were talking about from a point of like where the story's not all about uh necessarily being extreme it's just like these extreme things happen because mm -hmm. this characters on this path in this story right. it, it, you know that that was kind of like what we were talking about um well if i could just touch in american psycho i definitely think is extreme horror a hundred percent um there are there's a lot of stuff in that that isn't extreme horror uh but all of that stuff just continues to show uh the narrator patrick bateman's psychosis yeah. um you know like you have these these pages and pages where he's just talking about a fucking designer cd rack you know and that's really just to show how fucked up he is like how obsessive and crazy he is in yeah. fact brett easton ellis himself i saw him in an interview where he was like yeah once you get the point you can just kind of skip that shit the you know, Huey, like, like the huey lewis stuff that he breaks yeah, down like, yeah, like where he's like minor notes yeah yeah, whole par whole chapters about like Peter Gabriel and and Whitney Houston. Like he was like, yeah, you can just skip that stuff uh, once you get the point. The point is is just to show how crazy he is. I didn't know that at the time. I read the whole fucking thing. This is before the movie and everything. In fact, when the movie was coming out, I was like, how the fuck are they going to make a movie out of this? How are they possibly going to make a movie? Like the guy, I mean, in the book, he like puts tubes in women's vaginas and like shoves live rats up there to like eat them alive. Like how the fuck could you make a movie out of that? And they made a decent movie out of it and it was fun and funny, but it's, it's not like the book. The book is way darker and more disturbing. I guess. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, I guess what I more, I was getting at when you say, I guess when you bring up extreme horror, there's some like to some people, it conjures up something different. Uh, maybe 
we I don't know. Wrong. <clears throat> okay, I'm wrong. But that that movie actually I didn't even uh know who I hadn't read Brett Easton Ellis yet when that movie came out and my my ex-wife and I my ex-wife and I went to that movie and I remember watching it and it was like a movie where I was like, Oh, that's I like this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hate this movie. Ooh, I like this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, this movie sucks. And then like the whole time on the way home, I was like, you know what? And another thing about that movie, <laughs> just like the whole time. And uh, I realized I was like, oh, I guess I kind of like this movie. Right. And then I went and read the book and I was like, oh, well, I really like this book. Yeah. Right. And, uh, this author. The movies, the movie is. <clears throat> is is good in and of itself. It's I mean, uh, Brett Easton Ellis, uh, Brett Easton Ellis hates that fucking movie, but um, he's like said that many times. But the movie is like almost like a light-hearted version of the book. Like even though the movie's fucked up and 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 yeah, and, um, you know, psychotic, it's uh, it's very much like a a light cliff notes of the book. Yeah, it doesn't get as extreme. It's it's uh, nobody oh, eats a, nobody eats a chocolate covered urinal cake right. or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, but yeah, they do a good job of showing how intense his uh, obsession with things yeah. is. Yeah, and uh, and also it's you leave with a hearty sense of did that happen or right. did it? You know, yeah, and that's sure. and that's like I guess the intent. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, what are we talking about? So uh, we, were getting into, we were getting into surreal horror. You were talking about uh, Johnson, um, and I was mentioning David Lynch and things like that. Um, yeah, because surreal horror. What I love about surreal horror is that it gets under the skin without really being direct about it. Um, it, it, it like I like when when things. Uh, this is more, I think more appropriate in relation to film uh but i like when things are open to interpretation uh and i do like that in in fiction too but the problem is is like sometimes in fiction when they try to do that the story just doesn't seem like it has a beginning middle and end it just kind of meanders um but i like when it's done successfully yeah when it's pulled off it's right fantastic right right um uh, so yeah, like surreal fiction, surreal films um, that deal in horror. Um, I really like how they can, like I said before, play out like a nightmare where, you know, it's not all clear to you exactly, but the imagery and the emotions it brings up to you, uh, the, the you know the, the things that it reminds you of, hurts uh, and disturbs in a way that you know a typical slasher or uh, or like you know. Uh, a, a ghost story or something that can't do uh, like uh, go. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, can I, I just say, can I ask you before? We, uh, what do you think makes like the written, like the, like books effective and, and uh, not effective when they try to write that mm-hmm. way versus the way it comes off on film? Well, in film, it's all images, right? You know, it's all images, and um, so you think, yeah, like, like the writer has to construct those images, like with words first. Yeah, or... um, yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't always come off the same way. Like, take a movie like Eraserhead. Now, Eraserhead is is a great movie. It's really disturbing, really 
dark and fucked up, but it's all about the imagery and the sound. Um, like, you know, you have these long drawn out scenes of like the guy, like in the dark, just like churning the machine and everything. Um, and you never really get an explanation of what he is or what he does. If you tried to put something on a book, it wouldn't have the same effect. Uh, cause you'd just be like, well, what was the point of that chapter? Um, whereas in a film you can get, so much more of like the emotional aspect just from like the way things look and the way things sound. Um, so it's a different approach when you have something that's surreal in, in a, in a book. Um, I think it has to be dealt with in a, in a different manner. Uh, and I think it has to have more of a payoff. I think books yeah. have to explain <laughs> themselves more than films do. No, Absolutely. But there's like a, a, a almost a kind of a very gentle way to handle that where you can explain just enough in the book to not tip your hand, so to speak. And I think that's right. uh, it's it's not easy to do and not everybody sure. pulls it off. But sure. when it does like that's what I was like, uh, I strive for that. That's something that I look for in my writing. Like I would love to master uh, or be considered like among like, you know a mastery of that kind of thing uh in yeah. my writing just because i like that kind of shit like that's what i want to right. create right <clears throat> and that's a good goal but, i mean like it does exist in bizarro and other fiction um and i do like the whole um the whole untrustworthy narrator um i like one of the, the one of the books that one of the writers i can think of is uh, patrick mcgrath who wrote spider and asylum uh where there's a lot of surreal stuff in his books and you kind of just wonder like what's real and what isn't uh particularly in spider um i remember there's this like like the spider is the main character is mentally ill so you don't really know what's real and what isn't what he's imagining and what's really happening but there's one there's one little bit in that that really freaked me out and really just sticks with me where he's i, I mean i may have it a little foggy because it's been a long time since i read it but he has like he's like drinking from a bottle of milk and his father is inside of it and that like really really disturbed me and like they never get into what that really is i mean obviously it's some hallucination but like that's the kind of thing i'm talking about in surreal fiction where it can really where it can really disturb you you know and i and i try to include some of that stuff in my own work like in full brutal there's um there's many moments where uh, the main character's psychosis is just taking over and she's dreaming while she's awake. There's like, you know, these, these weird images of her parents and, and, and all of that. And actually some of the, the, those scenes, there's a, there's a scene in the book where she dreams that her parents are um, uh, that, you know, like that are like, are like bound in like this deserted playground and stuff. That was an actual nightmare that I had which shows you how fucked up my subconscious is. But I incorporated that to the book because it left me feeling disturbed and, and unsettled for the entire day after I woke up. And so I like when people utilize that kind of stuff. In fact, one of my favorite horror movie series is uh, Phantasm. And Phantasm was all inspired by a nightmare that Don Cuscarelli had. He had this like bad dream and that's what phantasm was like that was all pulled from his own dreams and that's why the movie is kind of surreal and isn't totally explained when you watch it but it's so effective because it's so scary um and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's not totally explainable yeah um 
I guess like I don't, man. They were. I I don't necessarily want to. I don't even. I fucking totally. What were you saying before Phantasm? Phantasm totally threw me off. You're talking about how you included your nightmare, and I had like such a point to say right there. Oh, John Wayne, we love that you. That was uh, about something. It was about something. I was talking about how. Just walk like, it back. Where were we at? Well, I was talking about just like, you know, like with surreal fiction and surreal films and how the imagery can say things without saying it, even in, in fiction. How do you like, interpret like your night? You put like the nightmare in there. Uh, right. Like it, it, it's like how night, like nightmares play out, I think, is, a, is the way surreal fiction kind of plays out, where you're showing things that you may not even yourself be able to explain but it hints on things that upset you and and make you afraid and make you unhappy and make you disturbed. That's what nightmares do. Like they don't always make sense, but they they touch on things that really bother you. Uh, and surreal horror fiction, I think, has to kind of recreate the nightmare. Now with books, I think it has to have some kind of turnout, some kind of like clear narrative. Whereas with films. It can explore the weirdness a little more and no, be a little more nebulous and vague. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's what, yeah. So in books where it, it gets, it gets all, it, there's a fine line to walk where you're talking about uh, the, the kind of imagery, like where you were talking about the, the guy at whatever the fuck movie you were talking about. That's the, the horror dude. Phantasm. Yeah, Phantasm, like that guy. Uh it's like talking to a three year old sometimes. But, like, but, you're like, but, focus, focus, magpie. But but when you're uh I, I do not like writing that just tries to be uh like so vague that yeah. you're like an idiot if you're completely you know, lost. You don't yeah, figure yeah. it out. Yeah. That kind of thing. I, I, right. I don't like that at all. Like that there's a such a fine line to walk to master that there is that, there is that that yes. thing where you can present those stories that tricks everyone's mind, the reader's right. mind as you're right. walking down there until the very end where you're like, oh. and even if it's barely explained, you're still kind of like, right. Yes. The, the right, right. payoff and is there. there. And that, that's what I mean. I know I'm a, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a third grader or whatever you said. Uh, but I oh, did I'm get back to balls. it. I got back to what we were saying. No, you're, there's definitely there's fiction out there that's horror fiction or bizarre fiction, um, where like it, it works. But sometimes you don't really know what the hell's going on. But and you a still lot like of, it. And a lot know? of bizarre. Yeah, but sometimes you don't know what the fuck is going on, and it's just because it's for the sake of something. It that's is not yes. like a, yes, like you're just I, and, like, what is this? And that's right. like what a lot of you know, some things have gone to that, and it's right, like, what right. does this mean and, anymore? We're not, this isn't. And, and, and yeah, like, there are like some authors, like, say, uh, Stephen Graham Jones, where you read some of his short stories and things like that, where they don't spell it out for you completely. There's not a, a, a sure beginning, middle, and end, or if there is, 
it doesn't all tie up in a perfect little package. It's open to interpretation. And I think a lot of those stories really work. Same things with uh, uh, Thomas Ligotti. Like his stuff is not spelled out for you, but it's so horrifying and so bizarre. Um, even Paul Tremblay, who a lot of his stuff now, you read a head full of ghosts or, or the cabin in the woods and it's, it's very, it's kind of straightforward, but his older stuff, a lot of his short stories and things like that were like, you, you could barely tell what the hell he was talking about. It's so bizarre, but, it, but still really good writing. But there are those, like you said, that are just, we seem weird for the sake of weird and don't go anywhere. And it's very, yeah. And, and that, and that fucks up the whole thing. Like, right, uh, right. You know, it dilutes the pool because right. then you're like that falls under surreal or whatever, and you're you know it, it makes that right hard harder to to uh, grasp. It makes, it makes it less approachable Le- too, and less like, t- Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because people will become tired mm-hmm. of the surreal fiction and films that don't go anywhere, and so then they won't give a chance to something else that does have a point and that does mean something excuse me um so yeah that that, that can be a problem uh and the same and then the same thing definitely goes for film like i mentioned david lynch earlier i really love the early works of david lynch the the more current works i really don't like i really liked lost highway a lot and i can actually make a cohesive plot in a way out of lost highway even though it's very bizarre uh, but going after that, like Mulholland Drive and certainly Inland Empire, it feels very just weird for the sake of weird. And I really don't like those movies. You know? I agree. But Lost Highway has a bitchin' soundtrack as well. It does. It has a good Great soundtrack. soundtrack. But, but the movie I, th- I can actually make some sense of as, a, as like this whole psychogenic fugue where the guy, you know, he kills his wife and he goes into this like mental state where he re- retracts and he... And he's like young again and like back to an innocence. And uh, like when he, he didn't do these horrible things, I was like, you can make some sense of that. You, yeah, make some sense. But that's like at the edge. Like after that, it gets. He gets yeah, after that. Like, like he, he had, he's like about to get to that point with Lost right, Highway. Right. And, and even, in his gets, early days of, even in his early days of weirdness, like with Eraserhead, like Eraserhead still has a general theme. Like it's about the fear of being a parent. It's about the fear of having a child. And it not working out the way you wanted. Uh, th- it's very clear that that's what it's about. Yes, there's all these things that don't make sense, like him becoming a fucking pencil and stuff. But that's all interpretive, and that's okay. Like that's that's for people to uh, attach their own personal feelings and, and interpretations to. Yeah. Um, but Hi, Chris, I'm David Lynch. Right? Yeah, yeah. Where that's does he get about. those wonderful toys? I'm playing the <laughs> Joker now. Yes, let's <laughs> just say David Lynch is the Joker. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Hi, uh, Chris. I'm painting shovels. <laughs> yeah, and that's a great example. Like, I really like the first two seasons of Twin Peaks, particularly the first season. But then that that revival, the return in Twin Peaks, so much of it was just weird for the sake of weird. It really bothered me. There were things about it that I liked, but I hated that we waited forever for Cooper to come to his senses and be Cooper again. Uh, I felt like there were so many sub-stories that took place outside of Twin Peaks that didn't matter. Like, I don't give a shit about Jim Belushi and fucking Vegas. Like, like so much of it didn't work for me. And that's a great example of modern-day Lynch where... It's very unsatisfying, in my personal opinion. Weird for the sake of weird, uh, to me, comes off as angsty, Mm -hmm. um, 
misdirected energy. Like I don't know where yeah. this needs to go. Like I have it comes something, off as lazy I, to me too. Yeah, it, yeah, that as well. But like uh, I, I have something to say. I don't know exactly how to say it, but I'm gonna do it like this. And if you don't like it, it makes you dumb. You're stupid. You don't get it. Yeah. I think with, but with it someone is like, you know, I, yeah, you I think to, it's you lazy. have to tie the narrative together in some way. I mean, you're presenting it to people. What do right. you? Right, you're presenting it to people. You have to give them some kind of closure. Like there were all of these side stories in the new Twin Peaks: The Return that didn't go anywhere, that had no conclusion at all, nothing. You know, and I found that very frustrating and annoying. I was really angry um, at the end of that because there were so many things about it that I enjoyed, and then there were so many things about it that pissed me off at the same time. Uh, but anyway, um, we were going to go from here. I'm sorry. What were you, did you have something to say? No, I was just, I was getting ready to, I was, uh, I was anticipating anytime. I'm so wrapped with attention when you speak. I'm just, (laughs) because I'm so enthralling. I'm such an interesting man. Um, <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> so, Shouts out to Atomic Cotton, Zardoz, Glow in the Dark, Zardoz, Zardoz, Sean Connery, Atomic Cotton. Yeah, what's so, up? I anyway. love you, Erica and Zach. Whoa. Anyway. Anyway. Oh my God, I'm getting drunk. Oh, you're I not. You're drink. I, no, I haven't had a drink in a couple of days, so it's 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 hit me harder. Uh, but true. so we uh. In talking about surreal stuff, like you and I both like that kind of that kind of horror, and so the other day, I reached out to you and I said, "Dude, you need to check out this movie Vivarium, mm-hmm. uh, which just recently <clears throat> popped up on Amazon Prime." So, listeners, if you have Amazon Prime, you can check it out for free. Uh, those who don't have Amazon Prime, you can still rent the damn thing, and it, it's really worth it. Um, I was interested in this movie. Uh, just because I heard other people like talking about it, other horror writers that I like were talking about how dark and dismal it was and how they liked it. And so I became very you know, interested in it. So I, I had added it to my queue. Uh, and I, and I swear, to, swear to God, like, it's really funny. Like the other night when I watched it, I was, you know, like I've had a couple of days off and it was my birthday weekend. I was like, you know what? I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to, I'm going to rent this movie. And it was already free. You know, I was like, oh shit, I don't even have to pay for it. But bam, like birthday power, you know, power. Uh, birthday, birthday power, rest in power. Um, so anyway, this movie is called Vivarium. Uh, now, Vivarium means home, domicile, uh, you know, a place to live. Um, now, I'm pulling it up now for my notes. It's a Dutch film. It's a Dutch film. And it stars um, the kid from Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, Jesse, thank you, Jesse Eisenberg, the kid from. He'll always be the kid from Zombieland. Uh, and the uh, the female lead, her name is very. Uh, it's a uh, goofy unique. It's very name. unique. I forget what it is. It's a um, goofy fucking name. It's it's Imogen Poots. Okay, I wouldn't say it's goofy, but... Imogene Poots. It's a stupid name. It sounds like a clown. It's a stupid name. Change your name, lady. Uh, She's an English actress. She's very good. She's she's definitely the best performance in the movie. She's an excellent actress. Excellent. And and I thought she was pretty as well. Not that that matters. Pretty as well. But her last name is Poots. So that's just stupid. Change your name. Uh, And it's got uh, good old Jesse. 
Do we need to, uh, the band? Are we going to make a transition or we are we get too um, far into this? Am I jumping the gun again, Wolverine? Hey, you know, Wolverine makes the rules when we, when it comes to queuing the band. Snick, snick. So anyway, it's this movie that I mentioned you watch. I, I recommended you watch based on knowing you and knowing what you like. And I also recommend it because I thought it'd be cool to talk about it on the show because it is a new film. It is topical. We did blood machines. I thought it'd be cool if we did another new movie and the fact that it's on Amazon prime and so many people have Amazon prime, they can check it out too. So without further ado, we are going to talk about. One, two, three, four. Vivarium. Vivarium. Okay, so this is a movie. Um, is it? Well, I didn't know that. I, uh... You, you, you recommended this movie to me, like you said. I sure and, did. Um, this is the kind of movie that I have to say was right up my alley. Awesome. As a type of movie. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you want to approach this. I mean, to give a it's so it's ha- so hard to give a synopsis of this movie. I don't. Uh, even upon your that. recommendation, I did not watch the trailer. Good, good. Uh, yes. But oh, oh, I guess we says should say spoiler, right? If you, well, once we get into it, I'm I'm going to say spoiler. Um, okay. And I don't. I like like you were saying about like giving a synopsis. I don't want to really give that much of a synopsis. Uh, because yeah, the, the more the more blind you are going into this, the better the movie is. Um, now, vivarium means you know home, and so all I think we should say is that it's about this couple who are looking for a new home, uh, a place to live, uh, and so they're kind of house shopping, and from there uh, they find a place that they're looking at and things go very bizarre and very surreal from there. That's really all on a tour of the community that they're might move. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't even want to get into all of that. Uh, I, cause like all I knew about it was that, that like, it was like, Oh, okay. It's a movie about these people finding, trying to find a home and things get fucking weird, uh, and scary. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it was going to be like a Stepford wives kind of thing where it was like, they joined a community and like everyone was really weird and creepy there, and was like, no, you need to be just like us. And but you know, I thought it was going to be like that kind of thing, which could have been cool too. But that's been done. Uh, but instead, it was a whole different animal. Um, and I really liked it. I recommend it to you. I almost was like, should I tell him he should trip on acid before he watches this? But I didn't because I never want to recommend anyone trip on acid. Uh, even though I know you like acid and everything, and you and like you might have enjoyed watching it on that, but acid not needed for this. Not, not needed. No, it's not one. needed. But I thought it might enhance it because it is a trippy movie. It is a surreal movie. It, it definitely would have. Uh, you know what? I'll be honest. While I was watching this, I was like, if I were on acid, I probably would maybe go down many more different thought processes. But I was trying to think about where I would go if I were on acid watching it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's where I, I was approaching it from. I felt like I was on acid watching the fucking thing. Like I felt like I was having a bad acid trip watching it. And not because it's like full of like weird colors and, and stuff like color out of space or, or blood. It's horrifying. Uh, yeah, but it didn't it wasn't that but it was it, like but it wasn't that it was visually like acid. It was more like just like the feeling of having a bad acid trip, like of being like not knowing what reality is anymore. It really had that. 
Now, the, uh, like David Lynch movies and things like that, this movie is very open to interpretation. Uh, I personally think like you can in- enjoy the movie as a complete story, for sure. It's not just weird for the sake of weird. But there are many different uh, uh, themes that you can pick up on it, depending on your own interpretation. And so I want to say right now, before we go any further, that the rest of the show is going to have spoilers for the film. I particularly mention that because, like I said to you, I told you, do not watch the trailer. Now, I'm the type of person, I never watch a trailer, ever, because I hate them. I, I friggin' hate them. They totally ruin the fucking movie. They show you way too much. They give away half the fucking story. Sometimes they even show you clips from the ending, so you're waiting to see that clip because you saw it in the trailer, and you're waiting to see it in the movie. You're like, okay, I know this is coming. I know there's I know there's an explosion coming or whatever it is you saw in the trailer, and you're waiting and waiting and waiting, and it turned out that's the end of the movie. The fucking house explodes or something. And it pisses me the fuck off. They ruin the whole fucking story. I get fucking mad, John Wayne. I get fucking mad. I hate trailers. They fucking ruin everything. And those anyway, are the kind of hot takes against trailers. Hot you can, take Triana. Yeah. As Tangy calls me, hot take Triana. HTT, ba-boom. baby. Ba-boom. Um, HTT. So yeah, uh, I watched the movie having not seen the trailer. Um, and well. the trailer gives away so much that it's disgusting. Uh, it, it really, it spoils so much. I'm just so mad. Uh, so that said, spoiler alert. If you have not seen this movie, uh, I think I can say on both of our behalf, uh, that we both loved it. Uh, you, know, you did say you loved it. We both recommend, as horror writers, as fans of horror, we both recommend that everybody who's listening watch this movie. If yes. you've watched the movie, keep on listening. Keep on listening because we're going to talk about the film. If you have not watched the movie, turn off the podcast, come back to it at this point in time after you've watched the movie. Unless you like to, you know, have, a, you know, us explain it and then go watch it to tell us that we're wrong, then do that. Well, I think you should watch it first and then come back, listen to what we say and tell us we're wrong because we were going to spoil. We're going to spoil a lot of the movie here. We are going to spoil the whole movie. So if you are interested in this movie, uh, sign off now, but come yes. back. Sign up when you've watched it. Pause tell- the podcast. And be sure to tweet at John when is dead, how right he is on everything he has to say about this movie. Uh, but when he said that he meant to say Coyote Chris at Twitter, uh, because yes, uh, at Twitter dot Coyote Chris dot Twitter, whatever it is, whatever it is, I I tend to be more right than you um, because I like Mandy and you don't. So there you go. I'm right. Uh, so anyway, uh, let's get into this. OK. Vivarium. Vivarium. Uh, a, a, a like. I feel like this is very much like a Twilight Zone kind of story. Uh, uh, it is extremely like a Twilight Zone story. Yeah, I was yeah. say, like my like uh, Richard Matheson, Charles Beaumont, those kind of things. I right, forgot to bring right. up during the last segment, but uh, I was enamored with uh, Richard Matheson's story, like short story writing. Oh God, me too. As far as like that is, you know, he, you know him. It, all you know, all the Twilight Zone, those kind of amazing stories. That is my shit. So yeah. this yeah, movie was pretty much exactly yeah. like one of those kind of things. So if you yeah. like that, like that's what this is. And then like talk about fucking foreshadowing uh, at the beginning of this movie with the birds with and the everything. birds, like yeah, the opening yeah. credit sequence. Pretty much like when you watch the movie at the end, you're like, 
It's great foreshadowing, absolutely. But I mean, you picked up on it. I picked on it. I don't know if if everyone would, uh, you know. So it's, it's kind of that thing where it's like you kind of have to be paying attention, you know. Um, so the movie, as we said, it's about this couple looking for a home, uh, and they go to this. They 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 you know they're looking at they're going to different um, realtor offices, I guess, and they go to this one. And there's this really creepy guy named Martin uh, who is like, oh, no, you should check it out. You should come down to the like we have this whole community. You should check it out. But and, but in the office that they go into, like all of the like there's models of the homes. It's very creepy. Mm-hmm. Every home is the same. Exactly. Same color. Same. And this guy, Martin, is wearing, you know, he's got like the he looks like a Mormon almost to evangelist. Right. right. He's got like black pants, white shirt, white black shirt. tie. Yeah, yeah, His yeah. hair is fucking slick black. Like he put shoe mm-hmm. polish in it. Yep. And he's very awkward. And he's, he's you yeah, know, he's, yeah, he's, he's very excited awkward. to get them to come out to the property. Right. To now, show I will say them right the, the house. Pet, I don't know why they went with him. Like, like he was so creepy and so weird. I was like, don't go anywhere with this fucking guy. Yeah. Oh no, no. You of know? course, I would. But, I mean, I have a million. No I have a million. Why didn't you do this at, in yeah, this movie? Yeah. But that's the biggest one. I think it's like it why was. Would... But you know. <laughs> but you know who I'd like to see and play that role? Crispin Glover. Right. He comes off like a Crispin Glover type. Crispin the guy Glover, who played him is great. Crispin Glover. N- would have knocked that guy's dick in the dirt for playing that role, I think, because he is just no. that. God, he could have done it so well. That guy's well, the fine. Guy, the guy, no, I think he's more than fine. I thought the the actor's name is Jonathan Aris, and he plays uh, the character's name is Martin. And I thought he was fucking great. Like he was so creepy to me and so unsettling. I thought he did a great job, but he definitely has that like Crispin Glover kind of weird vibe. But uh, I thought he nailed it, man. I thought he was great. He wasn't bad at all. He was. Oh, shut he the was fuck fine. up. He was. He was the best. He was great. He was good. You know what I didn't like about it was like when when they're looking at the house. Uh, you know, I don't know if you can get there that, and she and he does the thing where he repeats what she says, which mm. also foreshadows something. Where I was like, oh, we didn't need that. Like, come on. But, like, you know, like, like that's you almost said, like that's almost like too much. Like we, no, we come on, take us on no. the trip. Because, like you said, that that does lead into foreshadowing for later. Um, so anyway, these, these people, they, 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 this couple, um, Jesse and Poots, uh, they, <laughs> they, they are, they're this young couple and, um, you She's know, they don't... Gemma and Tom in the movie. We'll call them Jesse and Poots because it's easier for me to remember. They, uh, they, they go there with this, with this creepy Martin guy and he kind of shows them around the house and everything. And they're kind of not but, feeling wait, it. Wait, you didn't say, like the, the neighborhood that they go to, like if you would every house is the same, you, you're already out there looking at the house. If you would let me finish. Sorry. Finish. Jesus fucking Christ. You know, God, you're, you're like a child who wanders into the middle of a movie. Um, so yeah, they're not really feeling it because. They go into the neighborhood and every house, like you said, in the uh, in the office, the models, every house is the same. It's like all these green houses and they're just like row after row after row in these small yards. And so the couple, Jesse and Poots, uh, they're they're kind of um, they're, they're kind of not into it, you know, because it, it, it feels very it, it's kind of like that kind of like pastel fake 
like community like from Edward Scissorhands in a way where it's just like it feels like it's very fake and weird. Um, so they go and, and the guy, Martin, shows them the house and everything. And he's like, oh, check out the backyard. I mean, there's other things that happen in here, but I don't want to give every single detail, even in the spoilers. Uh, so they go to check out the backyard and they're looking around and everything. And then they come back and they're like, OK, we're going to leave. And uh, Martin's gone. And they're like, well, where the, where the hell is he? What happened? He just left. They walk out front and his car is gone. And they're like, okay, well, that guy was super creepy. This is super weird. They get in their car. They start driving. They can't find their way out of this complex that just, like, goes on and on. And, like, they, they think, keep thinking they're taking a right turn or whatever, but they keep coming back to the house that they looked at, which is house number nine. Which I like, I was, as soon as they came out, I was like, oh man, they're not, everywhere they turn, they're going to come back to this fucking house. Yeah, they're, like, they're not getting it, out. It, it, Like, you know that that's going to happen. So right. I was anxious for them just to get to it. And like, they kept driving and fighting until they ran out of gas and they just happened to run out of gas in front of house number nine. House number nine, every time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to get through like the, the summary real quick. So okay. then we can talk about like interpretation. So we're not like slowly trudging through it. Basically, um, they're kind of stuck there. And so they, they go into the house and they, and they, they basically are like, okay, I guess we like, we have to stay here for the night, but the night turns into two and three and whatever. Uh, they, you know, they climb up to the roof and they look and there, and there's just endless rows into the horizon of these greenhouses and the sun looks wrong and, and the, the clouds all look too perfect. Um, and, they're they're there and they like and the, like this package comes and it's like full of like freeze dried food and so they're eating it but like the food doesn't have any flavor at all uh, and so like the the husband Jesse he kind of snaps and he sets the whole fucking place on fire and he's like hey this will drag him out there but no one comes uh, and they wake up in the morning and not only is the house totally back intact like as if it had never burned but there's another there's a new box. And instead of this box uh, having uh, food rations, there's a little baby boy. And on the box it says, raise the child and be set free. Be released. Or be released. Sorry, that is important. Same difference. Be they, say it, they say it. The I, I mean, yeah, okay. That's semantics. But but yeah, they, it says, it, 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 it is important in a sense, I guess, uh, the, the terminology. So it says, raise a child and be released. Uh so they kind of get stuck with this. Now, this couple, basically, they, they can't leave because their car's out of gas. They, they, even if they had gas, they can't seem to get out of this labyrinth. And so they, they, they're living in this house now. And they're raising this kid. And the kid is, like, grows up much more quickly than a normal child. He's very bizarre. And this is one thing I really liked in it. I liked how the kid's voice was... Almost like an adult's voice. That was the creepiest thing, wasn't it? Jesus that kid's Christ. voice. You yeah. have to like. I mean, I guess we're not if we're not trying to get into the just the details, but like after just to say how fast he grows. After ninety eight days, he's basically like an eight year old. Yeah, right? yeah. You say eight year old really fast, and yeah. his voice modulates somewhere between a, a grown man and probably a monster, maybe. And yeah, but it's it, so perfect. It's like it, this weird kind of voice that's little, like it's yeah. And he doesn't, but it doesn't look fake. 
that's no, one no. Like, it looks like the child is actually speaking like yeah this. it doesn't it, did, it, it really pulls it off well yeah completely unsettling very uh, very much continue. uh it, it really is like the, i think that the kid's voice being so off is is one of the things that really grates on you uh, oh. but it's very every obvious very oh, soon oh. that oh, it's very obvious very soon that like the couple is really like not even creeped out by him at this point. They're just kind of like frustrated by him and bored of him. Just like Jesus fucking Christ. They like give the kid in the finger in the morning. And like, anytime they say something, the kid just repeats everything they say and says it the way they said it. Uh, so he's very much just like learning from them and like leeching off of them to trying to gain knowledge. Um, and uh, as the story progresses, you know, the, the, like all sorts of things happen. Uh, I don't. I don't want to try to itemize every little thing, uh, but again, if you're listening at this point, you should have seen the movie, so you should know what happens. So maybe now we just get into what we took away from it, what we got from it, what we thought about it, what we interpreted. Okay. So yeah, so, the movie. So from the beginning, we mentioned the bird part. What happens yes. is. Uh, in the opening, it shows. Uh, well, don't give it all away. <laughs> it it shows uh, these birds hatching in a nest, um, and another one that is obviously not the same type of bird mm-hmm. hatches and then pushes everybody else out of the nest. They all fall. The other two baby birds fall to the the ground and die. It's a cuckoo. It's a cuckoo, and then the the mother bird, of course, raises that cuckoo like as her own. like he takes over the fucking nest and the mom right. is like feeding it and shit and then credits pretty much right no. yeah <laughs> well it get, then it gets into um poots the female character uh and like it's a great scene in retrospect where you know because she's a school teacher and there's this little girl who noticed these these dead birds on the ground and mm-hmm. she's like talking and it's just like oh what, what happened to these birds and she's like oh, i was you know probably a cuckoo wanted the nest and like took them and, and and killed them and she's like well that's horrible and she's like well that's just nature, nature that's just yeah. that's how nature is and she's like well why why can't they just build their own nest i think that's nature is horrible i hate the way things are uh yeah. and so that not is horrible all the time yeah that is massive foreshadowing mm-hmm. for what you're about to see um the couple ends up trapped in this uh, in this world. Oh, I think it's also p- important to mention that they're in this housing community, but there's nobody else there. Nobody else is there. No. Endless, endless houses that are exactly the same. Nobody yeah. else. Yeah, they're all there. empty. It's all they're all empty. They take their time to like walk and walk, just trying to follow the they sun. Trying to follow the sun, yeah. And they just go and they just end up right back where they started. It's endless. It's uh, a very Twilight Zone in the mouth of madness kind of thing where they're just trapped in this endless loop and they keep coming back to house number nine. Um, uh, and so they're stuck with this kid who's a, just a monster. Not in the sense that it attacks but, them, but it's this it's this like he like screams when he wants something to eat. He just screams and they just rush to like make his cornflakes like like he, instead of using his words, he just screams, and he's really awkward, and he really he just imitates everything that they say. Uh, Let me say something though about like like when they open that box with a baby in it. At, at first, they're like, "Oh shit!" The baby has like this 
dyed black, super black hair. That's right. pretty much to me. I was like, okay, well, that's like that's the guy that showed them the house. Right. The guy that shows them the house has this like super dyed black, right, right, like, like hair. And I was like, all right, I think that that's what this is. I thought that way too. I like you were saying earlier. Like I don't try to just uh, just like figure everything out right away. No, but, but that like, it was, was very. Something. Where it was, was like, very glaring. Yeah, yeah, it was very glaring. And then it's even more glaring when they show like him uh, when he's like, uh, like it goes from him being a baby to him being like eight or nine years old. Yeah. And like it shows him sitting there. You see like the him from the back, much like you saw Martin at the real estate agency. You see him from the back first. And he's wearing the clothes. He's wearing the black slacks and the white shirt. And he's got the, the super black hair. So, yeah, I thought the same thing. I was like, OK, so I guess this is Martin and this is some weird time loop thing where like they they have to raise him he brought him there to raise him uh but that turns out that it's not exactly the case no. uh so that was kind of a cool mind fuck uh that it didn't turn out to be that it would have been cool if they made it that too like it still would have been cool but I, I liked it better the way that that it turned out um so this kid is this this screaming nightmare of a kid uh really starts to drive a wedge through the couple uh and like Jesse is just like fuck this kid, and uh, and Poots is like, well, yeah, this kid sucks, but he's still a child. We should still take care of him, whatever. And, and to the point where like there's that scene where where Jesse is just like can't take it anymore and throws the kid in the car and is like, let's lock him in here. You know, like if these motherfuckers who put us here want to keep this kid alive, they'll come and they'll save him. And if not, fuck him. We fucking kill him, and then we don't have to deal with him driving us insane because the kid just like screams constantly and just tortures them uh, mentally. Very uh, so I thought now, like, I mean, there's, there's certainly more to the plot than this. Like we'll get into that, but very early on, I started to get this feeling like this is very much a metaphor for the fears that people have, particularly the uh, fears of people, the age of these characters of, kids. of settling, of settling down in general. <clears throat> Finding a house, having kids, uh, all of that kind of stuff that ties into it. And that's definitely layered all over it, the it's film. It's pretty, I thought that was pretty overt. It is. It's very it, overt. At that it's point, very like it yeah. was like, okay, like, yes, that's what this is about. But, and, and to almost like to the point where me personally, I was like, okay, I get it. Let's mm -hmm. do something else weird. And they almost, and then they did do yes. something weird where they like did. the kid, like, yeah. goes like the kid like goes away one day and she's trying to find him and he comes back and he's got this book yeah. and yeah. <clears throat> this book is like you know she calls him a miss like the the kid like the mom is super like poons or whatever <clears throat> she does take on this like i'm gonna raise this kid and takes him right. out but like jesse yeah. also he's he's digging this hole at this point right. by right. the way right he figures out that he can dig in the in the front yard and he's obsessed with digging this whole day and oh, day and night. Well, he, he hears something. <clears throat> down he thinks there. he hears something. He thinks but he first, it's something. just something he can do. He's like, I can do this. Let me do it. Well, what happens is he flicks a cigarette. Yeah. And yeah. The, the, the grass, which is very like artificial, almost like golf grass, just like totally separates in this huge thing. And it's a really weird, like freakish thing to happen. And so he starts digging there and, and, he, and he becomes convinced that he there's something down there there's this weird texture to the earth it's, it's like this weird gunk and he's he's like becomes obsessed with it so he starts digging now personally like getting into the whole fear of parenthood 
uh, I think it's more than just the fear, fear of parenthood. I, I think it's the fear of having a child and that, that child tears you apart as a married couple. And you really see that reflected in how uh, the, the mother, the, the Poots, the mother character, she's not really the mother, how Poots like, is like, okay, this kid's fucked up, but maybe if I can raise him, I can change him, I can make him better. I have a responsibility as a human being to, to try to raise this kid. Right. Uh, whereas Jesse kind of rejects it more and was like, no, this is not a kid. This is a monster. Fuck this thing. And he becomes more obsessed with the whole. Uh, and I think that kind of reflects a lot of our uh, culture, not, not, not necessarily as Americans, but as human beings, where the mother typically becomes more maternal and the fathers tend to be the one that abandons uh, the one that is, that isn't as present in the child's life and becomes obsessed with their own things, their own projects, much like this hole where he's digging and digging. And I think it kind of represents how there's no end to the man's projects, the things that will distract him from being a father and being a good husband. Boom. I just dropped a boom on you right there. No, that that's a, that that's absolutely uh, what I think as well. But I think like also, you know, it shows at the beginning when they have this kid and it screams and shit. They kind of give this they show this semi montage where the routine that they they have with the kid where they're working together mm-hmm. to make sure that it doesn't scream and they fucking do all the things right. they, fi- they right. figured out the formula to get the kid through day to day which is not a normal thing. It's not, it's just like feed it, put it to bed, whatever. Right. And they figured it out and they're both working at the beginning. And then it, it, it splits. There's a, like a definite divergence where yeah. she yeah. is doing both of like putting the cereal yeah, in the everything. milk. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. He is completely distracted. He's lost in that hole. And it's not only like his own yeah. projects. It's, it's all, he's trying to put distance between himself and his, obligation which is up there because he this is down here it's like he's chasing something but what is he chasing what is it he doesn't know i think he's chasing escaping he's escaping he doesn't know what he but he doesn't even he doesn't even know what he's looking for and i think that that, that's a a great like uh, a great uh, metaphor for these guys who do abandon their families and chase young girls or or buy a fast car whatever it is i like this like he's just trying to get out of this situation that he's in he's trying to find literally trying to find a different world beyond the one that he's stuck in he feels stuck and at the same time poots the the woman in the story she feels very stuck too very trapped but the humanity in her the mother in her that 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 inborn maternal instinct is like i can't just abandon this kid and that's another thing with um the scene where uh, Jesse kind of just snaps and was like the kids just screaming being awful and he throws him in the car and locks him in and it's like fuck it we'll just like if they like we'll just let him die because then we'll be free that can very much be taken as a whole like the point of conception of the father being like wanting a voice in whether or not they have the child it can be like a whole thing where you know like like an abortion type of thing it's like we should just get rid of this child we should we should kill it now and the woman being like no, we can't just kill it. And then, you know, you know, like it, it kind of has that feel to it where it's like, no, ultimately it's the woman's decision. And, and of course it is in, in real life. But in this movie, like it kind of reflects that of like the frustration of this guy being stuck with a child he doesn't want. 
because the woman that, wants the child. Also, it's they make it very. He's very adamant about it not being a child. It's mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. it's an it. It's and a monster. She, it's a thing. Yeah. She also many times says, "I'm not your fucking mother." She does. Yeah, that was a big so. So I think in that the, like the for movie. the yeah. we have to say that like all of those undertones are there. Yes, but for the story's sake, they have that other other aspect of it which is a whole other layer of feelings you can get into but she does kind of fluctuate back and forth like she does she she she, she tries to buy into it because i think that it's almost a desperation of like well i've lost him to the whole i'm gonna get out of this on my own so i'll just figure the kid out and do it but when he turns into that monster in front of her she's like okay that's clearly not an option yeah she 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 totally like in many ways she, she i mean Totally, she totally knows that he's not human, that he's not normal, and that definitely he he's not her son, not biologically. Uh, but they're raising this child, and she still sees him because he looks like a human child. Um, she still sees him as a kid, and and, and like okay, like she the humanity in her is trying to be like no, like uh, you know, but at the, like at the same time, she does know many times, like you said, like this is not a normal kid, and when the kid. Like, she'll be talking the kid into bed at night, and, like, she'll walk out the door, and the kid will just start screeching and screeching, and she'll come back in, and she'll be like, why can't you just use your words? Why are you like this? And when it calls, and, like, it's interesting that the kid never calls Jesse father or dad, but he does call uh, Poots mom. He's like, okay, mother. And and she says, I'm not your mother. Many, many times. But then... As the movie progresses and as Jer- Jesse becomes obsessed with digging this pointless hole on and on and on, uh, she, she like they become so alienated from each other. The 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 adults like the 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 boyfriend and girlfriend, like the husband and wife figure, the mom and dad figure, they become very alienated from each other because he's lost in the hole and she just feels kind of lost. And so she kind of attaches on to the kid emotionally. And there's like that scene where she's like. You know, when she's like, oh, you're a mystery and I'm going to figure you out, you know, and he ha! even shows I'm a mystery, uh-huh, right. I'm a mystery. <laughs> but yes. he even shows like a sentimentality towards her where like, you know, like he's like, you know, upset when she tries to leave him. So she lays down in bed next to him and he like puts her his arm around her and calls her mother and stuff like so there's this like almost a tenderness there, even if it is a false tenderness, as we learn later. Uh, I think it's important to mention. You mentioned the book that he com- that is given to him uh, by a, something that we never see. Um, but he also he watches television, and the television is this like weird screaming fractals. It's just like these yeah. swirling black and white images, patterns, weird yeah, frequency just patterns sounds that just like swirl like, and scream. Yeah, it's just like yeah, yeah. It's, <clears throat> it's really like unnerving. It's not anything, um, and. Jesse like gets gets frustrated with her because she's like don't you don't need to just watch this all the time and it becomes this whole like parents being like you know you're like you're telling him not to watch cartoons all the time you're acting like his fucking mother and that really upsets Jesse that she starts to act like his mother when yeah. she's not you know and he's trying to pull her back into whatever kind of reality is left uh, and be like this is not this is not your kid whatever. Um, so I thought that was that that was really cool the way it shows how a child can uh disrupt a marriage not always ruin it but sometimes ruin it 
uh, and how it plays upon those fears that people have. Uh, one of the things I really appreciate about the movie Vivarium is it, uh, it it plays upon these very real fears that aren't touched on in most other horror films. You know, yeah. a lot of horror films, they just, they're like, oh, ghosts and axe murders. It's like these very basic human fears of just being killed, you know? Whereas this is more like uh, dealing on like the fears people have of change and commitment and uh, like what that means, what what being trapped into something means. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're like, they're totally trapped. Hey, dude, we're we're, we're two divorced men. We've been divorced from women before. Right, right. I mean, I think we can relate in some way to to this, but but except like, I feel like, this is not this is demonstrating where it's not a healthy escape there's not a, a healthy break or like right. this is not demonstrating right. that in this movie well, and it's important to say that both of us uh were married men who did not were not fathers we were not we fathers have, we so we kids, can't relate so... to that and i won't try to pretend well no no we not not, not, not just yeah not just that but like we were able to 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 break where uh, and and leave the marriage whereas those who have a child, it's much more complicated than that. And a lot of people stay in a loveless marriage because they don't want to leave their child. And I think that's what the movie is, is about. Like, uh, you're like, like they, they become very distant and then the, you know, the child gets in the way and, and ruins the love that they have ruins like their, their personal relationship. And I think that's a big fear too, that people have that, you know, by having a child, it will take away from the relationship itself that it will take away from the love between the, the man and the woman or, or, or the woman and the woman and the man, and the man, whatever, whatever it is that it will take away from that. Um, and, and I, and I think that that was really cool that they touched upon that very human base fear uh, of reproduction and how it can affect uh, the, the romantic relationship. I mean, but also, it also really did, I think, uh, you know, show, uh, how communication uh, could be important in in mm-hmm. those situations, and mm-hmm. how far, like I said, the distance that he is putting, like he is, <clears throat> he is vehemently digging this hole, yeah, day yeah. and night to to find whatever, but he's getting further and further away from what the yeah, problem it's a, is. yeah, it's a very and, like, literal and metaphor if, where if he's he digging just, and digging away, yeah. Like at one point, like, you know, when she's looking for the kid before he goes and finds the whole, the, the book, she walks by the hole and says, like, have you seen the boy? And he doesn't even look up. He just says, yeah. no. And he keeps digging. Yeah, keeps and digging. She walks away yeah. like that part. Like it's it's a small part, but it, it says a lot about yeah, where enough, they are like yeah, that. Yeah. And that's where the like communication is con- so important in yeah. all relationships. But like, I think that right there shows where it's so it's so fractured that they don't even know where the kid is, but it's a one word exchange. You know, I mean, it's right, broken right. down into that piece that we see, but it speaks right. louder than it is. But so the kid wanders off yeah. uh, one day, and like you said, Jesse doesn't give a fuck, uh, and uh, but Poots does, and she's like walking around the neighborhood, looking for him, looking for him. And of course, the, the, the neighborhood is an endless, repetitive labyrinth of greenhouses. Um, and uh, she, she can't find him. And eventually he comes back and he has that book. And she asks him, like, like where did you get this? And, and, and who gave it to you? And he's like, well, I can't say. 
And of course, she's curious, so she starts. She tries to pull him in by having him do impressions because he's always doing impressions of her, doing impressions of of Jesse, uh, the dad figure. And so she has him do those impressions, and then she's like, "Do you have any other impressions?" And he's kind of like, "Uh," and she's like, "Why don't you do, like maybe an impression of someone you met today?" And he does this impression of the person he met or the thing that he met that gave him the book. And it's really freakish. It's really scary because, like, his throat starts to, like, bubble up or, like, become huge like a like a bullfrog or something. Like, it swells up and he's doing this screeching noise and she becomes very horrified, obviously. Um, and he's like, are you, what does he say? Are you... Uh... Are you overwhelmed, mother? Are you overwhelmed, overwhelmed again, mother? And Are you like, overwhelmed I'm again? I'm not your fucking mother. And, and yeah, she's, she's crying. crying. Like, yeah, she's like, I'm not your fucking mother. It's yeah, very, yeah. it gets very, yeah. like, that's where they pull it back into, like, the horror, like, Big realm time. at Big that time. point. Because yeah. that way, like, right there, she realizes there's no mystery for me to solve. This is yeah. a monster. I'm yeah. fucked. She like, finally, like it really dawns on her yeah, that, that Jesse was right. Like that, that this is, this is not a child. This is a monster and things are, and by the way, I would have worse. killed that thing a million times, like groundhog day style. Oh, that, totally. like, I don't know why that was the only yeah. one thing that tripped me up. I was like, all right, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to pickaxe this kid in one right. of these scenes. Well, I was just the waiting thing, for Jesse, that. Jesse tries to in a sense yeah. he like throws the kid in the fucking car and it's like the kid is young he doesn't realize how to get out if it's locked and so they're like fuck him he's gonna stay in there until he starves to death uh, but like you know poots is like no that's that's cruel and that's then like we can't just let him starve us he's a child right and it's like no you dumb bitch he's not a child you but know? yeah but that's still like a passive approach like it, it also shows that he's still kind of scared to it does. It anything, does. Like, it also alludes mind, to the story of like, yeah, totally. Because in his like, mind, he's like, he's if more I just leave it here and go away, it'll die. You know, eventually I won't have to deal with it, type of thing. Oh, but no, like, no, like just... I think more so, like in his mind, because he says this, he's like, you know, if they really, if they really care about this thing, they, the quote unquote, they will come and save him, and we can get the fuck out of here because he really just wants to get out, and he's trying to do anything to get the people who put them in there. To yeah. come, uh, and so there's definitely that. But yeah. like as a side of that, he's like he thinks they'll come for him, and then we'll be able to get out of here. But at the same time, he's like, but if they don't, fuck him, he dies, and we're free of this thing. Yeah. Uh, but again, all symbolic. Um, anyway, the kid like it flashes forward, and the kid is suddenly I don't know twenty twenty one. He's basically an, an adult. Yeah. Uh, and Still dressed the same. Still, still dressed the same. Still dressed the same. And Jesse like is still digging that hole. So time has passed, but again, like he he grows exponentially. He grows far faster than uh, a normal human being does. And um, Jesse's also sleeping in the hole at this point. Yeah, Jesse's like full on sleeping in the hole. Like he's totally distant from from Poots, and so the kid has has really driven them apart. Uh, but. Uh, uh, Poots, you know, the woman, she's like really, really aware of like the fact that this kid is now an adult and it's and that makes him much more imposing, much more frightening. And his weirdness is much more threatening. Uh, and there's that great moment where she says to uh, to Jesse, she's like, why didn't I let you kill yeah. him when we had the chance when he was a because kid? I yeah, I should have let you kill him because now he's an adult. And. 
But he says because you're a decent person. Right, he does. Because because she is. She's a more decent person than he is. She's uh and that's just that's just the truth. Like he's more focused on himself as given with like the digging of the hole. He totally kind of like abandons her. But there's this kind of thing where now that the creature slash child is an adult, uh the two of them kind of come together again. And this kind of plays into the whole like once the child, even though like he's he hasn't technically left the nest, he's very he becomes very independent. And so that that kind of plays into how like in in uh, society and human nature, how once the child, quote unquote, leaves the nest, uh, which is a very apropos phrase, considering like the opening of the film, as we talked about, um, like like the the the, the people themselves they go from not being parents into being a married couple again and a lot of times they realize that they don't even know each other anymore but in this particular instance they bond really hard they bond together again and um uh jesse is very sick uh he he's like got this unexplained illness and you know, it's it's very much attributed, like it's very it's thought to be very much attributed to him digging in this yeah. hole forever and yeah. breathing in whatever fumes are in there or, or feeling <laughs> the effects of it. But he's sickly and he's starting to to deteriorate. Uh, and she becomes very attached to him again and doesn't give a shit about this boy who's turned man and is just super weird and comes off like a fucking creepy Mormon, you know, he's very creepy. He is. He's very strange. And, uh, and they, and then he locks them out of the house. Yeah, he does. He just lock like, he's like kind of decides like, this is my home now locks them out. And so they're sleeping outside and sleeping in the car and everything else. And one morning he comes out and poots, she goes to him and it's like you, before like, you speed past this, I was gonna say like that to me. I mean, that's also like it shows like at the beginning how like the the you know the the bird pushes them out of the nest, whatever. But to me, I also looked at that as like you know as a deterrent to having a child. Like you know, you put all this effort into raising a child, and then it like it kicks you out of uh, it, it shuns you, you or life. it yeah. rejects you. Yeah, yeah. You know, like uh, no, that's and, totally then, what it is. I'm, I'm and that's like I think at that moment, like when she's banging on the door. And banging on the window, let us in. He's sick. He's gonna die. And the guy, like the the kid or whatever, yeah, like he a looks, man, and he just, he just looks at her and looks right back to the TV yeah, and just yeah. doesn't do anything. That's like yeah. so, like right there. You're just like yeah. that's exactly why I don't want to have a kid. That's right. I would that's fucking right, right. kick. I would be like, <laughs> you motherfucker. Yeah, who like, the fuck do you, do you know, know where I did? You know, that's right, exactly right. 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 Yeah, so, yeah, like I wiped your ass yeah, and I taught you how to hold a pencil. And this is what you yeah. do. but but that's 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 our our culture that's our that's our nature uh and so Nia, i'm glad you stopped me and then you brought that up because i want to touch on that too uh where like yeah he kicks them out of their own home and just ignores them and that's very much metaphoric for all those things in in our own lives where uh where people just kind of like shun their parents and are just like you've become a burden because you're old or or whatever uh or you know like I just want to have my own life. I don't need you anymore. I can make my own rules. And you were just holding me back. And, you know, even, even in the teen years where they're just like, you don't understand me, whatever, like, and I hate you, you know, whatever. Like it, it plays into all of that. Definitely. Definitely. You're absolutely right about that. Um, plays into all of that. So, um, 
but if, but one day he, he like the, the 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 child we'll call him comes outside. He's a grown man now, and Poots and Jesse are out there, and Jesse's really fucked up. He's not doing well, and Poots goes to the child and is like, "You have to do something. He's gonna die, and all of this." And he very creepily says, uh, "You know, maybe it's time for him to be released." Yes. You know, and, and that's like in the beginning, you're like, "I'll be released." You're like, be "Released, oh, yeah, shit. yeah, 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 yeah." And, and and I was like, and she's like, she realizes that too because she's like, <gasps> "Yeah," she starts to like because she pretty much like yeah. falls from this point on to the rest the end of the movie. Yeah, she she starts to like cry and break down because she realizes that being released doesn't mean what they thought it meant when they yeah. first got that baby in a box. Like they thought it meant they could go back to their old life, but there is no returning. There is no going back. Um, and there's this very poignant moment where the two of them are together, uh, Poots and Jesse sitting on the sidewalk because they, they can't even go back into their own fucking house anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. their, their kid is a dick like kids are. Uh, and they're just kind of like reminiscing and they're like, going back to like all the wonderful things that made them a couple and before they, they came to that before place before they had before they came to this place before they settled down that house before they had a fucking kid who ruined everything uh and kind of like drives the whole point home for people like us who are like fucking kids man who wants that um they're just they're like they kind of like retroactively remember like all of the things that made them love each other and before all this happened, before they were driven apart, before the screaming kid, before the hole, before being trapped in this cookie cutter suburbia where they are totally isolated. Now, many people feel isolated when they're in a community like this, even though there there are people, they feel like they're trapped. And this movie really plays on that. Uh, and they feel like they're trapped in a life, in a life like they got the job, they've got the wife, they got the kid, and they feel like they're stuck, and that this is the this is it, this is the rest of the rest of their life. Um, so the two of them, they they kind of like reminisce about the past, their their younger days, as two older parents would would reminisce about, even though they're both kind of the same age as they were when they got stuck in this. They haven't uh, been there long. No, there's. I mean, maybe a year. And, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, cause, I mean that that like I said, it's a hundred days when that kid's like eight years old, and then right, you know, right. I mean, it can't be that long. But there's no sense of time in there. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no sense of time. They're just kind of stuck there eternally, uh, and and uh, but anyway, they're reminiscing, and um, Jesse passes away like in her arms. He dies, and uh, and then you know, like the kid comes back, and comes back with like a fucking body bag and vacuum packs him. Well, he has one. Thing. He has the box. He has one of those boxes and she's yeah, all hopefully yeah. like rips the it open same. and there's a body bag in it. Yeah. The yeah. same box that all their food came in, the <laughs> same box that the child himself came in, but there's a body bag. But the creepiest thing is like, they put him in there and like it vacuum seals, just like all the shrimp and other food that was given to them. Everything's vacuum sealed. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, to backtrack, when Jesse was digging in the hole, he came across something that really frightened him. And, like, you don't really get a real glimpse of it. You know, like I, I, I actually went back and watched that part twice. I rewound it. Yeah. yeah as I was at it because it. I was yeah. like, what is that? Yeah. And what you do see when you rewind it is he's digging something up and he pulls up, like, a bag or something. And he starts to wipe away. And his thumbs come across. And you can see that it's a face. 
that's like underneath yeah, you, like you plastic or something. See, you can kind of see that it's like a mouth shape. and a nose. And you can kind of see that it's the shape of a head, but you don't see yeah. a real face. No, you can see um, a face, but you see it's yeah, like a shape. Yeah. And he, and he, yeah, yeah. But I had to rewind it too. I, I'm glad you did because I, I rewinded it too. I was like, what the fuck is yeah, that? I, yeah, I, why I, is he I, so no, scared? I got to see what this is. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. Found it. So then, um, you know, uh, uh, the child goes to the hole and throws. Uh, Jesse's packaged body in there, and that's when it kind of dawns on you, like, oh shit, like this hole is dug always, and someone yeah. is thrown in there always. Um, and so, um, uh, Poots, she finally fucking snaps, and she's like, you know what, I need to finish what Jesse started, I need to kill this motherfucker. Uh, and so she comes at him with a pickaxe and like clips him in the head, whatever. And this is where the movie gets really batshit. He runs away and like lifts up the curb. Yeah. I, this, I, that, is where that, we step, this is where we step back into like, oh, this is like a sci fi, like, horror it becomes, movie. yeah, it becomes really, yeah. it's really yeah, crazy. He, yeah. he, he starts shrieking, like, yeah, he's like, whatever. And yeah, just yeah. picks up the curb, like a Roger Rabbit style. And disappears under it like a yeah, wrench yeah. and she runs and throws the pickaxe under it to yeah, keep just, it just open. barely gets in there yeah and, yeah. Lo- and she looks inside and she's looking at like a freddy's nightmare type of like a uh, labyrinth yeah know, just a labyrinth of just weirdness. doors yeah. And crazy yeah. shit and she dives under there and she starts trying to chase him and then she starts going through house like this the same scenario that she and her husband were in or he, she and jesse were in but she's seeing the different people that are stuck in the same thing. And she's kind of right. passing between them and they use color for all of those. Like she's color red. is a big part of that. Yeah. And then she like, kind of like, she kind of like sinks into the carpet and then it becomes she, like, yeah, she does. Thing. Like what, what, like when the first one that she goes into, it's all red, the world is all red. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was really striking because through the whole movie, all the houses are green. The world has this green kind of sheen to it. But um, she's not supposed to be there. It's like the family. Exactly. Scene. It's like that. Ah, but like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. She's not supposed that's, to be there. No, exactly. That's what like it was all like you've been watching green this whole time. And then all of a sudden, like you're blasted with the color red that you have not seen in the movie for it, since they like left their world and entered this this community called Yonder where they're trapped. And so it was like this, and eh, 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 like you said, like she's, she's, she's not supposed to be there. Like she went into this other dimension or this other plane, uh, where yonder still exists, but it's this other, it's this other home. It's this other timeline. And like, she sees like other people in this house dealing with the kid. And like, Same she continues, thing. She continues to drop. She continues to be passed through because she doesn't belong. She's passed through dimension after dimension, floor after floor. She just sinks through it like it's like it's silly putty or something. Um, And in each dimension, it's a little different, but it's very the same. There's always this kid or the grown version of the kid. uh, And there's like, you know, like she sees this woman who's just like sitting at the table, much as she did many times, just tortured uh, by oh, yeah. having to be with this kid. Uh, and then there's that like weird scene where like the grown kid is like in the bathtub, like killed himself or something. 
Like uh, that, I that, that was yeah, yeah. That one was weird. Or I thought that was the husband, yeah. maybe. Maybe it was the husband. Of I don't the know. of that couple. Yeah. Like that would have made himself. more sense. It looked like the it looked like the adult kid to me, but that would have made more sense. Like I, thought, I, I read it as that. That but makes you might more be sense. Right too. Okay. That no, no. That, like I think you're right because that makes more sense. Uh, I'm I'm glad you said that because like I was like what. But uh, no, that makes more sense that the husband would just fucking kill himself and just be like, I'm out. I'm sure that there's like that was his hole or I guess like he was just like, oh, yeah. my my hole is I'll just kill myself. Yeah. Like, just but I would have fucking yeah. crushed that kid's head. Like, oh, absolutely. Really like, <laughs> before it got to that 21 period. Oh, or man, I would have killed it was, like the it, fucking like, you, it was so creepy, man. It was like, so creepy. And it just like shrieked and screamed when it wasn't getting what it wanted. And they just had to figure out what it was that it wanted. Uh, but that's what a baby does. It just screams and you just have to figure out what it wants. Are you hungry? Are are you tired? Or do you need to be burped? Like it'll drive you insane. And that's what the movie was kind that's of. It was. Yeah. And insane. we're not, we don't have kids and we can't, you know, obviously you can't crush your baby's head in cinder blocks, you know? No, not, you can't do that. You probably shouldn't, uh, but you may want to, it may like, it may like everyone I know who, no matter how much they have their kids, will tell me like yeah the first year like you you're going insane you feel you can't sleep the kid's screaming all the time you basically have a nervous <laughs> breakdown and but, i'm like that sounds awful why would you do that and yeah why but would you i mean do it again and have another one you but know? that but that's another way this movie like is effective you and i are two people who have, don't have kids mm-hmm. and we're watching this and we're kind of like reaffirm yeah like <laughs> like are almost like we're we're able to actually recognize that this is how it is with some people. We right, have kids, right. we have friends that have kids, you know, right. we, you know, we can, you know, but like, that's where the movie succeeds in another way. Like, as far as like this story is being told, you right. know, um, so she's falling through these different versions of the same reality. It's like dimension after dimension. It's the same reality, just in a different way. She's seeing other versions of yonder. And, and I, if I could bring that up, I think what I think that is like you, you there yonder, like we said, it was a billion houses just by each other. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there was probably people in each house. But like I said, they're separated by some way that they're only they can perceive their house and nothing else. Perhaps you know? I kind of disagree with that, though. I think that every no. house you is thought they were their nine. own. I think every oh, house okay. is number nine and that they can't uh, and that. But it's like every plane every dimension has their own number nine i don't think anyone has neighbors at all uh and i'm gonna get to that once we like wrap up like the the general synopsis um so here's where it gets even creepier like the creepy creepy finale is uh she fails to kill the man child fails to kill him uh and there's this scene where she's kind of at the bedside and this scene probably fucked me up more than any other scene in the film. And I think maybe it's because uh, my own mother died, but she's like laying there and he's like, well, well, for, uh, hold on. Let me, let me walk us up to that. She, she is trying to find him. She's going through all those things. She gets back mm-hmm. to their number nine where she, mm-hmm. where she was. And she's in the front in the sidewalk, like, and she just collapses. She's like right. out. She's done. She's completely drained, emotionally, physically done. And then we go to this scene where she is lying, like, in the house somewhere by a bed. And the the kid, the grown kid, is over her. 
And yeah, and he's kind of tending to her. Uh, and and again, like I, I lost my mother to cancer, and that this whole scene really kind of fucked with me uh, because it's like this this quote unquote son with the with the mother and like it, like he's like wrapping her in the uh in the same oh. i'm sorry go ahead what? no no i was gonna say before they are you gonna say what he says before they close the thing up yes i am I okay am. go ahead uh she's he's wrapping her in the same type of body bag that he put jesse in and she says uh, like she's talking to him and says to him you know like uh what what are something like what what are mothers what do mothers do and everything and he's like well mother mothers raise their their sons they raise their their children and she says well, what do they do after that and he says mothers die and like that really really fucked with me really freaked me out um and and uh she, she says of course I'm not your fucking mother and starts to, and she starts to like, and he says, whatever, which is something she said all the time where he imitated it. And so he started, then he starts to wrap her up and this fucked with me probably more than anything else. And even though a lot of the other fucked with me, because it's like, this is kind of like this horrifying version of how we, uh, how we say to, how we say goodbye, how we almost like write off, our parents in a way like they really upset me like even though i never considered said that to myself that i wrote off my mother when she died because i didn't i helped take care of her until she died uh but it was this thing like this is what happens we bury our parents and and i and like i don't know that like something about that whole scene uh really got to me because it was kind of like there was this fate to it, this finality. He was very matter of fact, like, well, when, when the child is raised, then the mother dies. That's what she does. You know? Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and the, I think the whole, the whole story was like that tragic uh, matter of factness that comes with all of those transitions that happen, including like after he does, you know, he, he zips her up in the thing, throws her in the same hole. Mm-hmm. fills the hole up mm-hmm. and then he gets in the car their car he puts gas in it and drives out of the community right and he comes into the the same like i guess uh, the office, office. office yeah, yeah, that yeah. they were in and the guy that martin that showed them is in the chair dying actively yeah. like gasping yeah. he's old and and that's a way of like that's another layer of like the replacement like that's like the guy that's like being shoved out of his job here here's your gold watch get the fuck out of here and here's this new young kid that we can pay less and put him in here and the kid like the kid like the guy even like he dies he puts him in a bag right he puts he he wraps that bag up and puts it in a drawer the guy even he takes off his martin name name tag puts the name tag new guy yeah Yeah, and he puts the name tag on yeah yeah yeah. He takes that in complete it's, identity. It's not just he assumes, it's making the identity. Exactly. He assumes yeah. that entire new role. Right. Say it, it, even showing that like the person that was in that role before is so disposable to the to the to the extent that he wraps him in that bag, breaks yep. him apart by wrap by by yeah. folding it, puts him in a drawer, puts shoves the drawer, drawer, and you hear that you hear it. Doom, doom, 
yep. you you know it's like he's going down a garbage chute right right dude sits there now he's that now and he's the Martin. same two people basically walk in well it's not we, the same two people no no not it's not the people. same yeah. different people but the cycle continues yeah it's it, like it, another it, young couple comes in and it starts all over again and that's the end of the movie and, yeah. and i love how he stands and he takes that inhale to talk and when he's he's like <gasps> boom credits like he yep, doesn't even yep. get to say like oh man and that's yep. just and then you start thinking about like oh man they the, the the birds at the beginning and the uh, right uh, the whole replace it like the whole yeah. the whole uh replacing and making you raise uh making a species raise a, a child that's not their own species uh, and then like yeah you totally get this you totally, you totally start to get this sense of like, okay, what were these Martins? Like, are are they the aliens, or are they these like creatures that have always been with us? Uh, that that just um, that that force us to raise them, you know? Um, yeah, it was really really cool. It, it it raises questions, but at the same time, it's a very satisfying story arc, uh, and you can totally understand where where the fear comes from where your own discomfort comes from from all the things we just discussed yeah absolutely and the fact that like it makes us uh think this much and have a conversation about it is just like enough to say you should probably watch it yeah it really makes you think it it really does um i i like I, i'm really glad i got to talk to you about it cuz uh you're the first person i've been able to talk to about it who watched it uh and to be able to discuss it and not so much debate it but like i think we both came to the same conclusions but to mm -hmm. kind of dissect the movie yeah. uh, and, and i'm really glad that you you liked it i thought you would but you and i differ on certain movies sometimes so you never know but uh i thought you would dig it and yeah i really really liked it it's my favorite horror movie that i've seen in a while um uh probably since uh color out of space it's my favorite yeah, yeah. Once they pulled into the the neighborhood uh, yonder, which is right, it, which is close to the beginning, and there's not much that happens before they pull in. Once they pulled into that neighborhood, and you see the sign, if you were home, you, or if if you were home, you'd be if you were here, you'd be home, or something <laughs> like it's so something like that. And yeah. Everything is the same. I was like, oh fuck yeah, yeah yeah. I was like, I'm in, I'm in, and I, you know. There were some things I kind of knew. I was like, okay, they're obviously they're not going to be able to get out of here. Right. Like, yeah. You I see, that, see that stuff. Yeah. But the way they with the kid and all that kind of stuff was. And, was, you know, uh, it's interesting. Very well done. It's interesting that um, the house is number nine. And maybe this is the David Lynch fan in me who's always trying to look for clues. But nine is the amount of months it takes the gestation period for a human kid, a human child. Did I just blow your mind? I will have a single plum floating in perfume. And <laughs> but Please. Like, like I was trying to make sound like, okay, they're, they're, they're specific about number nine, you know? And I was like, that's, it takes nine months to, to, to birth that's a child. Interesting, um, yeah. But and, uh, and also like, when they're being shown the house by Martin at the beginning and they, the, 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 the room for the boy and he was like, yeah, he already this knows. Is a, this is a forever house. This isn't a, you know. Yeah, like, but the room is like blue. It's very yeah. specifically a boy color. And it's like he already knows they're being given a boy. Uh, and it's like, is it always a boy? Is that their species? You know, like, 
what what is this thing and they never really like tell you if it's an alien or if it's the species that's been around forever uh but what what's really cool is um like knowing going backward like you know thinking backward after you know like it's not necessarily this human race um the whole world of yonder the, 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 the yonder the uh community that they built uh like the fact that the food looks right but tastes wrong uh and there's this community you know it's like it's kind of like if you told a uh, a program what people like in a community and the and the computer program generated it it's like it's technically correct but it lacks all the substance there's no flavor to the food there's no other people like it's a house and it's very nice but like like you know what i mean it's like it's this very synthetic hollow version an interpretation of what people want and yeah. I think that's what this this species of Martins did is they tried to like okay this is what people seem to want so we'll give them this to f and they should be happy enough that they'll raise us you it, know it's yeah it it's uh, you said it very well it's it's like the approximation of everything that is comfortable to us mm -hmm. that was dictated to somebody who has never experienced it and is trying to right. recreate it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's that, totally that's like, exactly what it is. Like they, yeah. they can, they can get a sense for what it looks like. They can kind of understand they have a something of what it's supposed to taste like and smell like, but it's not right. Yeah. And like, you know, down to like the clouds, like there's that scene where she's just like, she, Oh yeah. Where she's like, these clouds, they look too much like clouds. They're too perfect. They look the same every day. And Jesse's like, you remember the wind? I miss the wind. There's like that, no at wind. The end, I was going to say, yeah, yeah that's where they die. No yeah. Breeze that was a great place. part. Yeah. Yeah, and the, Simpsons, the weather's like the, the same every day. Mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah. The clouds are hanging all like Simpsons-esque clouds, I thought. Right, uh, they look drawn the on the sky. And right. Yeah, that, that was a great scene where she says, like, you know, they, they, they don't look, you know, where I come from, they look like faces and dogs. Right. Woof, woof. Like, you here know. Here they just look exactly the same. Here they look like clouds, you know. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. Great movie. Great movie, really good movie. Great example of how surreal horror can be done. Uh, a really a throwback to the Rod Sterling type of storytelling when it comes yes. to horror, the Richard Matheson style, Charles um, Beaumont, all that. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, really good, really good stuff. Yeah, that was really good stuff. That was a great really recommendation, uh, dude. Yeah. Um, so I recommend that everyone go watch that Vivarium. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's probably it for this one, huh? I think so. I think we can wrap it up without it being three hours long. Uh, or just it might under there. Okay, so it's already there. So maybe we're we should just wrap under it. it. Every um, time I think we're going to make it concise, we just ramble on like a couple of drunk old men, which is... Ramble on! <laughs> uh, we are a couple of drunk old men, so we're just like... Bleh, bleh, hey, studying. Hey, I stand behind our main uh, praise or Chris criticism, which is Chris and John Wayne are like two an old married couple <laughs> arguing about movies that everyone, everyone forgot, about. forgot about. It's true. I'll stand true. behind that. But you I know want what? That to be on my tombstone. That's that's totally what we do. That's a great great feedback that we got. Because um, that's what we do. But this time, this time, baby, we were topical. We talked about a new movie. You say baby too? Huh? 
You say what? baby too. <laughs> Just joking. I said that this we... time, baby. I say baby too. Um, this time we were topicals. Check it out. Vivarium is on Amazon Prime if you have you can it. Watch or it now. Not, you can rent it for like three dollars. Uh, two ninety nine, I believe, is what it is. Yep. It's very much worth it if you're into this kind if of. If you haven't it's... watched it and you've already listened, oh, good, I'm sorry. Yeah. If you already, if you already fucking listened to this and um, and haven't watched it yet, then we ruined the whole movie for you. So you might as well just kill yourself and start over in the next life, because uh, you didn't listen to what we were saying about spoilers. Kill, us. Oh. <laughs> kill yourself. I'm gonna end every show with that. Kill I think I, man, I like to end things on an upbeat. So, uh, Kill anyway, yourself. this is another uh, great episode, Chris. Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I love you. <laughs> I love you too, John Wayne. Don't kill yourself because uh, I love you. I, uh, well, no, I'm going I'm to listen to Can't Kill Yourself, the band CKY. Uh, and then uh, I'm also going to go to chrisandjohnwayne.com to listen to all of the other episodes. If and, you haven't, uh, if you haven't yet, you should listen to all of the other episodes. Each one of them is a goddamned gem, like a gem. Uh, uh, and thank you to everybody that's been checking it out and listening. We're we're uh, very much amazed uh, daily yeah. by the numbers that this uh, podcast seems to be getting, and I, I appreciate yeah. it very much as I know we're Chris does. We're overwhelmed. We love you guys. Thank oh, you so much. And uh, hopefully, we can get out there soon and see people live. But we can talk about maybe that next episode. But yeah. uh, find me at John Wayne is Dead on everything. I also go to my website, John Wayne is Dead uh, Chris, you can find is... me at ChristopherTorano.com. You can top my net. You can ugh. you can type you can my top... name. To... You say top my net. You can top <laughs> my net. You can swish, swish, Kobe style. Uh, no, you can go into uh, you can type my name into anything. But ChristopherTorano.com, Christopher Toronto at Facebook, uh, and uh, all the other places. On... Uh, Coyote Chris on Twitter. That's my Twitter handle. I found out that that's what it's called. Thanks to John Wayne. Um, and you can follow all of my nonsense and, uh, and my books and, and, and all of that good stuff. We love you. Goodbye. Goodbye.